You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. There has been an awakening. Have you felt it? You are listening to Star Wars The Saga Continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery and Tim Jirasi, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed, so we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Always in motion is the future. This is just the beginning. You'll find out full of surprises. Not over yet. No, there is another. Chewie, we're home. Hello there, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news, rumors, and updates on Star Wars Episode Nine, Star Wars Resistance, and all the other cool and exciting new projects coming up in the Star Wars universe. As always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I've got my co-hosts, Tim and Paul, with me. How's it going, guys? Hey, what's up, Kyle? Doing good. <laughs> Liked your hello there at the beginning. I mean, it took us over, what, 100 episodes to <laughs> to throw in an Obi-Wan hello there reference, but I liked it. <laughs> About time, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it was a little, uh, you didn't warn me, so it kind of took me out a little bit. I kind of thought, are we starting over? <laughs> like, nope. I, that's what I thought, but no, we're at the start of the show. I was feeling spontaneous. There you go. Um, Well, anyway, it's good to be back talking Star Wars again with you guys, Um, and uh, we've got kind of some big stuff to talk about on this episode, only a few news stories, and then we're going to dive into um, actually talking about our top five favorite moments from the uh, Disney Star Wars films, which is something that we've kind of had on the back burner for a while um, ever since, I forget when it was, but a few months ago we put a poll out on Twitter um, or just a question, it wasn't a poll, asking you guys what your favorite moments were. Um, and we got so many responses um, and so much great interaction with you listeners that uh, we decided, you know what, at some point we got to do a whole episode about this. Um, so we had decided to do that for this episode, and then before we could get around to actually recording it, this big article with Bob Iger came out talking about Star Wars and some other stuff. So we're going to talk about that and a couple other quick news upda- updates first, um, and then we'll get to our uh, our lists here. Um, but just jumping into the news, um, like I said, there was a big, uh, interview with Bob Iger recently with the Hollywood reporter. Um, and they talked about a lot of stuff with, you know, his success with Disney and the, uh, the Fox takeover and all that kind of stuff. But the one thing that's got, uh, the star Wars community buzzing, um, and it's just kind of one small section of this article, but one of the questions they asked him, uh, they said, many believe Disney should pump the brakes and not put out a star Wars movie each year. Um, And his response to that, he said, I made the timing decision, and as I look back, I think the mistake that I made, and I take the blame, was a little too much too fast. You can expect some slowdown, but that doesn't mean we're not going to make films. 
JJ is busy making episode nine. We have creative entities, including Game of Thrones creators, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, who are developing sagas of their own, which we haven't been specific about. And we are just at the point where we're starting to make decisions on what comes next after JJ's. But I think we're going to be a little bit more careful about volume and timing and the buck stops here on that. Um, basically just meaning it's up to him, you know, sort of how they release that and sort of what their timeline is going forward. Um, so what was you guys' initial reaction to that? Paul, I'll, I'll kind of let you go first because I know you, uh, when we were talking about this beforehand, you had a lot to talk about on this. But um, right. what, what was kind of your initial reaction to this? Well, this, I think, is very interesting because the ramifications that what he's talking about is, I don't know if I believe, let me start over. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with him that it was a mistake to do this. I think that putting out solo right after last jedi so quickly like six months afterwards was a mistake but so how many films we've gotten i don't think necessarily has been a mistake they should have delayed solo longer or whatever but what i think is interesting is that there's there's an emphasis on the fact they gave us too much too soon in the theater and for me i think what what's interesting is the fact you look at the marvel and what they're doing because right before this interview it was announced that or it was uh leaked or whatever through variety that like people or these these series these mcu series like loki and scarlet Witch are going to be released and they're gonna be mini series and so these characters that wouldn't necessarily have their own film were going to get their own mini series and i thought about that and i thought you know what because one of the things, you know, what even though we probably all agreed that Star Wars could still support a one time a year um, kind of film release, right? Mm-hmm. I think we all agree to that to a certain extent. What I think what is interesting about this is that, you know, Iger said he put out too much too soon. And, you know, they expected too much from a profit standpoint as far as that goes. And, and, and you know, and because Star Wars at that point, you know, had always had the three-year difference or whatever. What I think is interesting is that with this announcement with Marvel, and we all know, we're, you know, they're getting a Star Wars series, you know, we're getting the Clone Wars to come back, and we're getting the, the Sean Favreau series. But what I think what's interesting is that with depending on, and I think maybe not, doesn't matter what happens with episode nine, I think that with this new service, the what they're, you know, what Iger is pretty much like, putting a lot of money and investment into, I think you're going to see something very, very, very similar to what Marvel's doing with, with the MCU series, limited series, but not limited series. I predict that this is going to be a, there are going to be a lot more straight to streaming service films. And the reason why is because so much, so many, not just Disney, but so many other streaming services. Like the other day I saw that uh, Netflix is having a Michael Bay movie Say what you want about Michael Bay, but it's a it's a hundred fifty million dollar budget movie for Netflix with Ryan Reynolds and directed by Michael Bay. That would have been, you know, think about how much you would have promoted that movie if you're a major studio, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you would have, you know, spent so much money in marketing, right? Well, now you just have it on. Hey, you just promote. Netflix says, hey. You know, they spent probably half, if not less than that. I'm assuming. Great, I'm assuming on the promotion for their own channel, and they just they just pop it on their <laughs> on their thing. Like this is our new release movie right here, and people start watching it, and then just the word of mouth goes. And now, granted, I know Netflix promotes and and things like that, et cetera, et cetera. My point is this: is that 
this is like the, the change of, of entertainment is is happening and it's happening before our, our eyes. Does it mean that films like in theaters are going to go away? No, because I think with big budget films and whatever, they're still going to have a place in movies. And I think that Star Wars still will be on the on the big screen. It's good. But I think what they're, what he was, you know, Iger was getting at was, it you know, it gave us too much too soon and it didn't make it special. And that's what a lot of the complaints that I see online is that, oh, it's not special. Star Wars has is, is lost its edge or Star Wars has done this or or whatever. And for me, it really comes down to the fact that we have, um, you know, we, we have a different kind of mindset right now with Star Wars, you know, because we've gotten so many films. People are, you know, people are going to it. Like, look at Rogue One. Look at Last Jedi. People are still going to see these movies right after, you know, it are, you know Solo had a, a perfect storm against it. But I think Solo shows you that it was, it's as, as besides the whole out, out, um, which, what, what do you want to say, what I'm trying to say here? The whole thing about when people were trying to put down the movie on Rotten Tomatoes, like giving it a bad score, even though they hadn't seen it, they're saying, this is not my movie, blah, blah, blah. And they're just kind of, you're killing the score and it brought it way down. And now it's starting to creep up, creep uh, back up because people are actually watching the movie going, Oh, it's actually good. No one went and saw solo. That's why it didn't, you know, do well. It got pretty good, like decent reviews. It just didn't do well financially. People just didn't see it in the theater. What I think is that what's going to happen is they're going to make star Wars back to being an event in the theater, the big giant, like whatever movie you're going to see, that's going to be in the theater. I think a movie like the Obi-Wan movie, I predict here, my prediction, the Kenobi movie will happen, but it's going to happen on the Disney streaming service. I think these you can make a lower budget Obi-Wan film, just like Solo. If you think about it, you probably could have uh, molded Solo and make it not cost as much. And I don't even know how much it costs. Maybe limit enough um, a, a lot of the uh, space scenes, perhaps on the Kessel Run. Maybe you limit the Kessel Run, a, you know, a little bit more or something like that. Maybe you take out the monster or whatever. But that, to me, you could have made that on a pretty moderate budget and probably put that on the streaming service and get the results that you want because they're trying to keep, you know, you're, you're pumping, you know. You know, this, this content into something that you want to establish to keep these people on a regular basis and like, you know, keep them engaged in your service. So I think with, with that, with all we're seeing the change in, in entertainment, I think that's where Star Wars, these extra um, non saga films or or whatever, a lot. There's going to be a lot more straight to this Disney streaming service, because think about it this way, too, guys. You can still do that and put out tons of merchandise. That's not going to change. Star Wars fans, you know, Star Wars is still marketable. You put out there, you market the fact that this movie is going to be on the Disney streaming service, you know, by itself it's before it comes out on video or whatever. And it's going to be a huge thing they market out, you know, you're going to have toys and everything and, and people are going to buy into it. Like that's not going to change. So for me, I think this is where Star Wars films are headed. I think the TV series also depending on you know again it's all depending on how these tv series work and how how many people watch them but as far as like the 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 um excuse me the favreau show and these marvel shows but i really do think that i think it's all going to be successful and i think i think disney's going to probably say you know what let's save let's put a movie out every couple years in the theater where it's like we put a little bit more money into it it becomes a little more of an event like this is a big like epic 
looking Star Wars film and the smaller stories that we want to tell, like the solos and the, maybe the potential Obi-Wan films, we're going to save those for the streaming service. And that's what I got out of this whole conversation with Bob Iger is I think we're seeing a shift because I think Bob was like, oh, we made a mistake. We put out too much because you're trying to, you know, when you put these huge budgets in these big budget films, you need to have a certain amount of return. I don't know if you need that necessarily to recoup that into these streaming service films or or a streaming service. I don't know how, what the gauge is, but I feel that no matter how, you know, you could probably make a pretty moderately budget Star Wars film and you're going to still get a crap ton of people watching the movie because it's Star Wars and it's on your streaming service. So to me, it's like a no brainer. I think we're seeing Iger kind of admit like we put too much out too fast, but I feel like it's because they're going to be shifting their whole focus in the near future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I'm kind be. of on the same page as you are with that, Paul. And yeah, what one thing about the opening statement and kind of what you're talking about as far as saying, you know, kind of regretting about the mistake about putting too much out too fast. It kind of seems he was using that in general for most of the Star Wars films, like the once a year and then solo to top it off six months after Last Jedi. And I feel that we all know from a marketing standpoint, and obviously from the box office standpoint, that was a mistake. But it just seems like in, he was putting all of them in general, like the once a year format and then throwing in the solo release that probably that's not going to be the case anymore. But I still firmly believe, like, like you said, that the one movie a year, I think, worked really well and still could work really well. But I think that's probably not going to be the case anymore. Maybe it would be like every two years or three years for those big movie releases. And it's kind of a shame because I still think and I always believe that Star Wars movies could work just like how the Marvel formula has been working for the MCU films. But looking back on it now and just this window of that we've had in the last four years about these Star Wars movies coming out once a year and then with Solo every six months. I mean, for me as a fan, it was awesome. And I kept saying how amazing it's going to be getting a Star Wars movie six months from the last one. But I'm not going to be expecting that anymore. But it just the thing with the Marvel movies, I think, is different from Star Wars is that each Marvel movie that comes out, it's not it says Marvel Studios on there, but it's not part of the title. It's like Guardians of the Galaxy, the Avengers, Captain America, the Iron Man movies. Of like Marvel Studios isn't part of the tar- title where it's like Iron Man from Marvel Studios or Marvel Studios, Guardians of the Galaxies. With Star Wars, Star Wars is always in that title. So I think from like a general audience perspective, it's like, okay, we know we're getting a new Star Wars movie where kind of when you look at the MCU films, not I don't think everyone in the general audience who goes to see them realizes that they're all part of like the same universe and from marvel studios they're kind of viewing them as their own separate entities and probably don't put the pieces together until like they see an avengers movie or something that it's all connected they're thinking they're seeing different movies but just i think the name branding of having star wars on the title for each one is something that probably maybe has that fatigue for some people thinking it's too much too fast and it doesn't have that special feeling anymore about getting star wars movies every year and all the time now so I think that might play a little bit into it from a general audience perspective where Star Wars maybe can't work the same way that the Marvel movies do as far as, you know, having several movies out in the year. So that's something where, you know, once I was really excited about they can really work, um, I probably should start thinking that's not going to be the case anymore because I think you're 100% right that we are going to see a shift now to how things are going to be released going forward. And I totally agree with you about the streaming service being a big factor to what we can be seeing new future star wars movies premiere on and the other big thing i was taking from this uh, 
uh, question in the Hollywood Reporter article is him specifically mentioning after episode nine, where he goes, we have entities, including the Game of Thrones creators, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss's project. And that made me think, first off, he called it sagas, <laughs> which, you know, doesn't specifically say it's a trilogy or how many is going to be a part of that saga. But it just makes you think, you know, are they, shift, like you said, Paul, shifting their focus already? Like you did mention Ryan Johnson's trilogy that was planned. Is that something that's going to be changed where that's going to go to the streaming service? Or maybe we'll get one movie from Ryan Johnson that's going to write and direct and seeing how that goes, if that will be on another theatrical release for a sequel or will the remainder of his story be told in the streaming service or will it just premiere in the streaming service so i, I just thought it was kind of interesting that he said benioff and weiss project here which makes me believe that that's probably going to be the next thing on the horizon after episode nine how long that's going to be in the wait i think that remains to be seen and if he is you know really going to move forward about slowing things down it could be a couple of years which probably it's what it's going to be to make their first film so it just leaves a bunch of questions as far as what's exactly next and he said that they're making final decisions about what is going to come after episode nine so i just sure there's just tons of discussions going on over at disney and lucasfilm deciding what they exactly what they want to do with this but it just i don't know the, moving forward after you know a few months ago before the solo uh, financial box office failure happened and things that were going to read they're going to reevaluate stuff at lucasfilm we pretty much had a good idea what was probably down the pipeline and we were assuming we heard all the reports about the obi-wan movie how that would probably be in 2020 the first movie after episode nine then probably after that we get ryan johnson's but now everything is up in the air and right now though if since he specifically mentioned the benioff and wise project uh, i'll take that as far as maybe that's the one he's most excited for maybe and wants to push to get next off the ground after episode nine but it's definitely going to be interesting to see what's next and i don't think it's going to be necessarily the worst thing in the world to have the movies premiere on the streaming service. I think that could be something that's really cool. And like you said, Paul, kind of the smaller standalone films could really work on there. I think Obi-Wan would be perfect. But at the same time, too, when you have a big star like Ewan McGregor <laughs> rephrasing his role as Obi-Wan, that would be something I'd want to see on the big screen. But you make a good point of, as far as studios and big time directors and actors doing projects that are going directly to the streaming service night like netflix is becoming something that's going to be the norm so probably wouldn't feel so out of place if they decided to premiere the obi-wan movie with ewan mcgregor on the streaming service so yeah it's going to be almost like a brave new world coming once the the streaming service Mm -hmm. launches and what the future of star wars is going to hold but you know it just even though it's kind of a bummer to hear him say things are going to be slowing down we knew we were expecting something like that to happen after the aftermath of Solo. So it's not a super, super, like super shock and surprise to hear him say that, but it is still kind of a bummer to hear that it has come to that anyway. <laughs> that is something that they had to do because I was eating up all the Star Wars content we were getting every year <laughs> and as quickly as we were getting it. So it's going to be an adjustment, but as long as we know we still got that content coming, I mean, that's really not all that matters. Yeah, well, here's the interesting thing, though, is he never specifically mentions either uh solo or like the controversy around the last jedi or any of that kind of stuff he doesn't mention any of that specifically they just talk Mm -hmm. about the fact that um you know some people think it was too much too fast or whatever um i think real real quick i'm just wondering too is like is he just saying i why is he 
creating that such a broad stroke because I think it would have been nice for him just to single out Solo because that really is the only one that is considered a financial failure. I hate for him to think that, you know, the other ones are considered like that when they're really not. Even though The Last Jedi had controversy, it shouldn't be considered as like a failure that Solo was financially. So I'm just kind of curious that he didn't specifically name Solo when that really is the only reason that's causing this whole thing. Well, yeah, and Solo is the only one that has been considered a financial failure, but also, you know, thinking about the response to The Last Jedi and that whole thing, and, I mean, we've talked about this a lot before, but I think, honestly, like, my biggest criticism so far with the sequel trilogy, with, you know, just episodes 7 and 8, it's, like, the lack of... um, sort of creative vision over the whole thing. Like, I wish they had a more clear and planned out trilogy from the beginning. Um, You know, and I think my, maybe even my biggest issue with The Last Jedi is it feels like, um, you know, they, you can tell that they were directed and written by two different directors who had two different ideas. um, And that Ryan Johnson just took things that J.J. left hanging in The Force Awakens that he was maybe going to take in different directions was was like, hey, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we maybe tried this? And now, you know, we're wondering how those things are going to play out in Episode Nine, And is J.J. going to go back to sort of some of his original visions or whatever? It just seems like there wasn't, you know, it doesn't feel like it's super cohesive as a trilogy um, as of right now. Um, as opposed to, you know, with both the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy where you had George Lucas overseeing the whole thing and he had all his notes and outlines and, you know, ideas about whole, how the whole story was going to flow. And I think that kind of was a mistake on Disney's part that, I mean, pretty much every one of these movies, except for The Last Jedi, has had some kind of setback or production delay. And even with, you know, The Force Awakens, they, you know, fired uh, Michael Arndt as the writer, you know, at the 11th hour and J.J. Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan kind of had to come up with the script, uh, you know, real quick before they started filming. And it's hard not to wonder, like, well, how, you know, if maybe a better groundwork for the sequel trilogy as a whole could have been laid if they had, you know, taken a little bit more time on that. And so even though, um, you know, Solo is the only one that's been viewed as a financial failure, I'm also wondering if he's maybe responding to some of the criticism and thinking, that, I mean, even though uh, The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi and, um, you know, Rogue One all made, um, you know, very good money at the box office, like, if they had slowed down and taken their time to plan out the movies and really kind of work out the story and and plot, you know, sort of a a plot a course and have more of a, a creative vision for where they wanted this thing to go, instead of being so quick to, like, all right, let's you know, strike while the iron is hot and just crank out a Star Wars movie every year, I think we could have ended up with, um, you know, some better quality films. And that's not to, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm bashing on the movies too hard or anything, especially we're about to get into a discussion about, you know, all the stuff that we love about those movies. Um, But I do think overall, even though I, there are things that I love about all of the Disney films, and but especially about the prequel, uh, the sequel trilogy, um, just with episode, <clears throat> geez, sorry, my throat is like killing me here. Um, it's all good, homie. But, um, no, I think like, even though there are definitely things I love about both of those movies, I think as a whole and as a trilogy, it could have been planned out a lot better and just, you know, there are things they could have done. They could have just, you know, taken their time and gotten some more things right from the get go. And I wonder if, 
he's maybe talking about that a little bit too, not just in terms of platforms or streaming services mm-hmm. or revenue or any of that kind of stuff, but maybe that going forward that their priority is going to be on delivering quality story, quality Star Wars stories that people really want to see and that are really going to grab on and be you know great movies or series or whatever it's going to be and be less. Um, you know, sort of less focused on let's put a product out every year to make money off of it. Um, because, it's, you know, having all of this just be a reaction to Solo, I still think is a little bit extreme. Um, just because that is, you know, that's the first movie of, you know, the new Disney Star Wars film, that, the films that's been viewed as, you know, not a financial success. And so to be like, man, we have to go back to the drawing board and rethink our whole strategy here. Um, I mean, like you said, Paul, I think Solo had kind of a perfect storm of things working against it um, with, you know, the timing and the criticism to The Last Jedi and all that kind of stuff. And I think even if it had been coming out this year in December, I think things probably would have been fine. I think, uh, you know, some of the disgruntled fans from The Last Jedi, you maybe would have calmed down a bit by now and that whole thing would have kind of blown over and you give people a little bit more time to get excited again about a new Star Wars movie. I mean, even for us, like, we liked The Last Jedi, but we were still talking about that by the time Solo came out. It's like, you know, people hadn't even finished kind of processing and digesting it yet. Um, And also, side note, we're entering into a a really weird period right now where there's no Star Wars movie coming out this year in December, and it's, you know, I've gotten used to that so quickly already. um, that even though We should be gearing up for a new trailer right now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Even though we already got our Star Wars movie for this year, it feels really weird that the next one isn't coming out for another year and a half. It's like, yeah, we'd normally be, uh, you know, gearing up for the next trailer that would be coming out sometime in October and, you know, be looking forward to uh, getting ready for the new movie coming out in December, so... Um, I mean, I thought the one a year, and even at first when they first announced it, I was a little bit skeptical. I thought maybe it would be too much, too fast, and, um, that it would kind of lose its specialness. But after the first three movies, I didn't think that at all. I was really enjoying, um, getting one Star Wars movie a year. And then just with Solo, I thought that one was a little bit too quick off the heels of The Last Jedi. So, uh, and that's what's making me think, like, is this all just a reaction to the financial aspect of solo or is this you know are they rethinking their strategy in terms of just sort of planning out these stories and these trilogies and stuff like that um and maybe wanting to put more focus on just making sure that they get it right um because i i mean i would hope going forward like i would love it if we still got a star wars movie every year or at least either a theatrical movie or a netflix movie or a new netflix series or something like that um because yeah like you were saying paul i think there is a lot of opportunity there that they could have some straight to digital movies on um, on the Disney streaming service. Oh, sorry, I think I said Netflix earlier, but obviously all this stuff's going to be on the on their Disney yeah. platform. Um, you could have some movies going straight to there, but also you know some of these stories could be just ripe for you know doing more um, just limited series, kind of like you were talking about, like the Marvel stuff that they're going to be doing. Um, and obviously we know John Favreau is going to be working on a Star Wars series for Netflix or for the, the streaming service. So, um, you know, we could have a lot more of that kind of content coming too. And, you know, getting something like that once a year, whether it's a, like I said, whether it's a theatrical movie or a straight to digital movie or, um, series or whatever, I think would still be great. Um, but if that's not the case, I hope that they don't intentionally kind of 
slow it to a halt and be like, oh, okay, people are getting tired of Star Wars, so let's only plan to do a Star Wars movie every two years or every three years or something like that. I would say maybe not pump them out as fast as possible because I definitely don't think there should be more than one a year or one every six months like we did this year. I do think that was a bit much, but I just think their focus should be on quality content, quality storytelling, right. um, and that should be the primary focus ahead of... Um, you know, just release dates and, um, you know, trying to get stuff out as quickly as possible. So, you know, just make good Star Wars stories, release them whenever they're ready. If, But, you know, again, if it's if it ends up still being once a year, I hope that's not too much. And I hope they won't, you know, have some good stuff ready to go and be like, oh, well, we can't put that out till next year because that would be, you know, too much or whatever. Um, I just right. hope they kind of put their focus in the right place. And, you know, if if they have a release date for something say that's going to come out next year but like it's not ready and they need to rework some things push that release date back make that movie or that series as good as it can possibly be and don't rush it and patch it up and just try to get it out there as quickly as possible so that would be you know that's the direction i hope they're heading in well and you have to think about this too there, this is why it's so fascinating with the whole new streaming service and this whole interview with, with Iger's talking about is the fact that they it's not just the films they need you know look at solo and you would say if you make good content people will show up right well here's the problem i would think and i think most people would say solo is quality content but no one went and saw it mm-hmm. and i and like i think just like what tim was saying too is that it's very interesting that they or he did not bring up solo as the main problem because I think the they're I think they're seeing the ramifications of the Last Jedi into Solo. Solo had its own problems, its own marketing problems, or whatever. But I really do think that they view Last Jedi as kind of a I don't know about this because if you think about it, and I was thinking about this, you know, me, you know, oh sorry, I hit my mic. Um, let me start over. Uh, if you think about it. What with Ryan Johnson's trilogy, do you need to make that a theatrical thing or could you do a straight to video thing? Could you? He hasn't even started working on it, he's going to make another movie first. Did yeah, you, that's another thing. Yeah, yeah, that just came out recently. Yeah, the double D's they're, um, they're almost done with Game of Thrones, and then this their next project is Star Wars. What if the DB uh double D's for the, the showrunners of Game of Thrones, what if they are the next theatrical release? But they before Ryan Johnson, because remember Ryan Johnson was offered a trilogy of films, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what if Kathleen Kennedy said, "Well, Ryan, here's the thing: your films are going to actually going to be on the streaming service, so you have to you have this amount of budget to work with. So here you go." And because he didn't really have like an inspired idea, Kathleen Kennedy just went to him and said, "Give me some movies." And he was yeah. like, "Okay." <laughs> yeah, they were so, like, "Hey, we like working together. Let's make some more Star Wars movies." Right. And that also you would eliminate the fact that you have all the backlash of the, you know, the I would say the minority people who are like you are on YouTube complaining about the Last Jedi, you know, and, and making money off of that, you know, off YouTube because they can you know bash Star Wars or whatever, um, and people watch it even even though they if they liked the Last Jedi or not they'll still watch it and then they they greedily rub their hands together and go they're so foolish I say bad things they still watch it I get money anyway. Um, so the thing is, but if you put it on the streaming service, if you don't like it, you just don't watch it. But you still have you still you know see and get people to watch because it's Star Wars content. There's not that investment to say, 
I don't want to go to the theater, so I'm not going to go see it. It's like, oh, i got nothing else going on. Star Wars came on. I needed something to watch. Okay, here you go. Mm-hmm. It's like, because Star Wars, it's a different idea. If, it, if it's already established on your device, you're going to go watch it. If it's Star Wars content and it's quality filmmaker, which Ryan Johnson's a quality filmmaker, whether you like this Last Jedi or not, he still makes a decent film. You know, he's not like a hack, I don't I don't think, as far as you may not like his, what he, what he, the, the, the creative decisions that he made as far as like, story-wise but you still like the, the type of shots he makes and the and everything and he's still a good director so that being said i just i just kind of got the, you know i think that the, you're we're also and we don't want to underestimate the fact that yes these films do make a lot of money but what is the key to star wars what is always the backbone of star wars and what's made it as successful as it has it's the merchandise and that's what needs to pump you know that's what they need the content for so think about like as a, the streaming service as a way to get content to viewers but also get them to invest in the content so then they'll go into um the idea of um you know buying toys buying stuff like that like that's the thing you got to do to you know for star wars and that's the crown jewel of star wars it's yes you can make money you know think look at sony they sold the rights to spider-man right they sold the rights to um for for merchandise and for tv rights they only wanted the movie rights because merchandise it takes a while but Martin Disney was like, okay, sure, we'll take it. And now Sony's like, crap, we were idiots. What were we thinking? <laughs> and, you know, you know, and, and but because because honestly, yeah, it's great to have movie, and movie is a you know great way to reach people and to promote your product and everything. But it's the merchandising that is the key to Star Wars. That's always been Star Wars' backbone. Merchandising, merchandising. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Spaceballs a flamethrower. You know, the kids so, love this one. Love this one. And so, and, and that's the thing, I think we're, we're, we're underestimating the fact that like, you know, you could, again, you could pop a hundred million dollars into a movie for Star Wars, a pretty decent movie for Star Wars. And then, you know, Solo didn't even have much, you know, they had merchandise, but didn't have much promotion. Imagine if, you know, more people, yeah. you know, saw, oh, new Star Wars movies on, on the Disney streaming service. Let's go watch it. And then go, oh yeah, my kids love that. They want to see it. You know, it's more, you're more apt to show them the Star Wars film on the streaming service rather than go to all the way to the theater, spend $60 and popcorn and it's an event man and that's where you know movie theater has to be an event and that's where these big budget films the big budget star wars films you know they're it's going to be emphasis on small i really do i think that's where the tatooine obi-wan you mcgregor film and you said something earlier tim that like you know you figure with you mcgregor coming back it's worthy of a big budget thing i would argue that no that that doesn't mean anything anymore i think one thing that tv has done it's transcended the idea of the stigma of people and our actors going from movie to, to TV. Cause before it was like the minor leagues. If you went from movies to, to TV, you like you, you weren't successful as you know, you didn't hit the big, big time or, or whatever. Now it's totally gone. It's, it's been eroding over the years, but it's 100% flip flopped. It doesn't matter. Will Smith was in a very successful movie called bright on Netflix. Huge yeah. film. Big A-list movie star Ryan Reynolds. You know, I I would say he was a you know he was an A-lister. Went to B-list, did Deadpool, went back to A-list. Um, you know, for me, he now he's doing the Netflix movie, which I have no idea about. I'm not going to watch it. It's Michael Bay, but but <laughs> you know, 
here's my point, though, is that even McGregor himself, he was just on an FX series, you know, like for Fargo. And he was fantastic. And it didn't matter. Like he like, you know, it is the thing is TV has transcended. Like there's no the stigma is gone of like, oh, you're on TV now. Oh, man, that sucks. No, no, no. Like the creative side and the financial side has are finally almost on par. I mean, I'm assuming I'm not on work in the industry. Maybe I'm totally wrong, but it seems like more like like Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson both did True Detective, one of the best seasons of TV ever made, right? Mm -hmm. They did True Detective. Matthew McConaughey, he's an A-list actor, does films all over the place, but he's went to do HBO. And that's the thing you gotta realize that there's no more stigma. You can get A-list talent and get, and pay them, you know, within reason, and you don't have to break the bank to bring him in. Cause like, oh yeah, it's not like gonna hurt my career as to show my face on TV instead of movies. Before it was different, at least it was, when I was a kid, that's what my perception was. So I just think that, no, I think now Ewan McGregor's like, yeah, let's just get me a good story. I'll, I don't care where it goes. Pay me the money. It's a good story. I'll go in, you know, I'll do it. And I think that's what we're going to get. I think that, to be honest, I think that's the problem. Think about this. If you're doing a Star Wars film, right, a theatrical film, you want it to at least, at the very minimum, be 120 minutes, right? Oh, or yeah. An hour and 20. I'm sorry, not 120 minutes. I'm sorry. At least an hour and 20 minutes. I think of like, and that's pushing. That's yeah, like, I, don't even be, I would need it to be longer. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, there's never been a Star Wars movie that was under two hours. So, right. So, here's my point with with a with this whole thing with um, the Disney streaming service, you don't have to worry about a runtime. You don't have to worry about like, Man, I can't. We don't. Have, we don't have to worry about like making a short movie. You can make it an hour and fifteen minute long Obi Wan movie. You don't have to put it fluff into it. Think about that. You eliminate the ideas of how much you know. You're. You. It almost. I feel it's like it gives you freedom and the limitations that it gives you, because you you don't have to worry about like well we have to extend out we have to do this and we have to. To me, it's like if it ends up being forty five minutes or an hour, like who cares? It's just, it's just, it's just you know, if it's successful, you keep putting out Obi Wan films with Ewan McGregor. Think about it; it makes sense. You know, you can do the rumored Obi Wan trilogy that you know doesn't. They don't have to be an hour and a half, hour and forty five minutes long. They can be pretty short, you know, pretty like fun adventures. And you're, and I think you're getting the same things out of it that you would as a normal Obi Wan film. But you don't, you're not handcuffed with the idea that you have to have this and you have to have that because you have certain quotas you have to do in a in a theatrical film, and the budgets and things like that. You can again go. I go back to the idea. You're filming on Tatooine. Just think about how cheap that'd be. So I just think that, and in a good way. I mean, in a good way. So I just think that this is the future for Star Wars because that way. You keep the you keep Star Wars alive. You do the idea of like you know you're not overrunning the theaters with Star Wars films, and people are exhausted about spending their seventy bucks because Marvel's got like like you said also uh, earlier, Tim, the fact that Marvel, you know, they have different properties that they sell, and they're very radically different from each other. So people can kind of pick and choose and go, oh yeah, that's kind of like this or kind of like that. 
Star Wars is all kind of the same vein. Like you can tell different stories, like types of stories, and it all works and, and, and similar to Marvel. But Marvel is a little more distinct, I feel, than Star Wars. Star Wars, it all has to have look the same, same kind of feel. Has to say has to come from the same universe. Marvel can do something radically different. Like you have Ant Man and Doctor Strange, such radically different franchises from each other, but they all come from the same universe. And it, but they're so radically different that you can sell them as different entities. With Star Wars, it's like, oh, it's Han Solo and, you know, in spaceships, which we have spaceships in the last film. And we have, you know, whereas in Doctor Strange, you have different dimensions and, you know, different radical monsters and, and different things like that. Whereas in Ant-Man, you've got a heist movie, right? So there's such mm-hmm. radical different things. Star well, Wars and I think, kind of- I think with Star Wars, there's a lot of opportunity to do that. But, you know, I mean, I think maybe that's part of the fatigue, too, is, like, we're getting a movie every year, but, you know, you got your new trilogy, and then so far we've had two spinoff movies set during the time period of the original trilogy, when I think what people really want is, like, you know, Old Republic time period or stuff that just explores different stuff that we haven't really seen before, Um, and I think you know, they're maybe afraid to take that risk because maybe general audiences don't really care about, you know, the old Republic or, you know, whatever else um, that's like not really tied into the main films. Um, But I think, again, the streaming service is a perfect opportunity to explore some of that stuff too and take some more risks and do stuff that doesn't have to appeal to like the mass general audience that can be kind of more tailored specifically to Star Wars fans. Yeah, and and I think that this is where Again, this is where I think that we like, like the Old Republic is something that you can make a giant, big budget production where it, it bring people in. And again, if you feed the content to, if you put like the films, think about this: if you got, let's say, two, three films every, you know, every three years in the Disney streaming service, but one massive, big budget Star Wars film, we would all be happy with that, right? Mm-hmm. Even or just say you get two films on the streaming service and a, one TV series, and then one giant theatrical film, we'd be happy with that. And I think that's the thing they want to do, because that way Disney can satisfy their streaming service thing and really make that be their global dominant thing with having Star Wars that, or added to that. And then you also have the fact of, you know, the merchandise quota to put more content out there to sell toys and bed sheets and whatever. And then you have the giant film to people in the seats and get money that way and also as your 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 mecca if you will you know there's different ways to do it and i think they just haven't figured out what to do because they've had the sequel trilogy to rely on and that's been their first thing you know outright is we have the sequel trilogy we have to do that that's the obvious first step in this new line of disney cinema films well now that when that's gone you know what do they do it's all open it's completely open what they can or you know should do and like like i said they don't have to put out a theatrical film they can put out these these films on the streaming service and not feel they have to throw some out in the in the um put some out there for merchandise and stuff you can let you know things sit and go do we do that old republic thing and really market and say this is a different time period a way different time period because i think that'd be really easy to say before han and leia before darth vader there was the old republic and then you, you know you you know, have people like Jedi running around everywhere. That would that's easy to market, to, in my opinion. But, oh yeah. So yeah, I think I think that's where you're you're gonna see. I think we're gonna get that. I think we're gonna get one film every couple years now with 
a Star Wars series, a live action Star Wars series, and a couple live action movies on the streaming service. Yeah, which I'm fine with, honestly. If we go back to having Star Wars movies in the theaters every two or three years, but we're getting a lot of content on the streaming service, and, I mean, we're going to have more animated stuff, too. Um, you know, we're getting new Clone Wars episodes, Resistance is about to start, and I I get the feeling, uh, I don't know, just because that streaming service is so ripe for... Um, you know, just possibilities of different types of content they could do. I think we're going to get one more animated thing. Probably after, I mean, after they're done with the new Clone Wars episodes, like, I think Dave Filoni's going to be moving on to something else, whether it's, um, well, I, who knows what it's going to be. But, um, I mean, I don't think it's going to be just Resistance for a while. I think they're probably going to have something else going on the streaming service after those Clone Wars episodes are done. So I can't wait to see what they end up doing with all that. Um, suffice it to say, I think Celebration next year is going to be a very interesting one because hopefully that's when we'll finally start getting some announcements about some of this stuff, um, yeah. about, you know, whether it's animated series or whether it's, uh, the Favreau series or just whatever film stuff is coming next after episode nine. Um, and then of course also, you know, Celebration next year, we'll be getting like the first teaser for episode nine, most likely too. So, um, yeah, it, it's going to be a little while before we start really getting information on all this kind of stuff, but um, you know, just very interesting to see um, how the uh, the future of the Star Wars film landscape could potentially be getting uh, shaken up a little bit here. Um, yeah, so like we're definitely entering a shift that I wasn't expecting <laughs> to happen yeah. with the new Star Wars film. So it's definitely going to be interesting. Yeah, and again, time will tell kind of how that all plays out. But um, yeah, we'll so still we... be here for it all, though. Oh, no matter what. Uh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, we're not going anywhere. Um, but let's move on to our next story here. Just a little bit more episode nine casting news that uh, actually dropped. I think right before our last episode came up, we had already recorded, so we didn't get to talk about this. I am very happy about this one. Uh, Matt Smith, <laughs> uh, you know, best known as playing the eleventh Doctor on Doctor Who, um, has also been cast in an undisclosed role in episode nine. Um, I'm really excited about this one. This guy's fantastic. He's basically what got me really into Doctor Who. I mean, I'd been watching it, um, you know, the first few seasons before he joined and I liked it. I didn't love it. He joined. I loved it. Like he is my favorite doctor. His seasons are my favorite ones. Um, and I think he's just really great as an actor. Um, I haven't really kept up with his new stuff. Like I know he's on that, uh, Netflix show, The Crown, um, but I think he just won an Emmy for that, or at least was nominated for it. Or no, I don't think he won, because uh, Peter Dinklage won um, for Game of Thrones. But I think he got nominated for an Emmy for it. Um, so, you know, doing great work over there as well. And I think it's going to be really cool to see him in Star Wars. I have no idea who he's going to play. Um, I mean, obviously, as the Doctor, he was really kind of just fun and weird and quirky. And so I think, you know, he could do a really good job playing, like, a droid or an alien or something. But... Um, I mean, I'm sure he could do great in a, a more serious role, too. So, um, I mean, we are, really have nothing to speculate on for now. But I am uh, really excited to see him, whatever his role ends up being. Yeah, I knew this was going to be a casting announcement you're going to be excited for, Kyle. <laughs> but I've, I haven't really watched any of Doctor Who, so I'm not too familiar with Matt Smith's work. I think the only thing I've really seen him in was in the last Terminator movie, Terminator Genesis. I believe he was a villain in that, but... Um, so other than that, I'm not too familiar with them, but, you know, just cool to have more episode nine casting news coming out and just who's all going to be involved in the movie. And I just couldn't help but think when I heard that 
David Tennant was going to be in it. Even though I don't watch Doctor Who, I'm aware of all the connections that Star Wars has with it, especially the first thing that came to my mind was when David Tennant was announced as uh, the voice for Hugh Wang in those Clone Wars episodes. I was like, should they just make Matt Smith another droid-type character like Hugh Wang? Just keep that Doctor Who theme going for all these droid-type characters. And <laughs> so I would love Jedi that. Lightsabers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Hugh Wang was one of my favorite you know, sort of guest cameo, or not really cameo, yeah. but, you know, guest uh, starring characters in Clone Wars. Um, David Tennant just knocked that one out of the park. But, um, yeah, so that was a, a really cool bit of casting news that I was uh, pretty excited about. Um, and then last bit of news that we were going to mention is uh, just some new details on the cantina that's going to be coming to the Galaxy's Edge expansion to Disneyland um, and Disney World. Um, and this was, uh, you know, a bit of information they released on the Disney Parks blog. Um, they've got a cool new uh, sort of piece of concept art here showing the inside of it. Um, and it says visitors to this new notorious local watering hole to unwind, conduct shady business, and maybe even encounter a friend or foe. Uh, run by an intriguing alien proprietor, Oga Gara, the cantina adheres to a strict code of conduct that tries to keep its unruly patrons in check. But with a history of being a smuggler's safe haven and a popular stopping point for those seeking to avoid the authorities, you can bet the cantina has a story or two to tell. Oga's Cantina is the kind of establishment that attracts some of the most interesting and disreputable characters in the galaxy, and you never know when a stormtrooper or familiar face will show up. Patrons of the cantina come from across the galaxy to sample the famous concoctions created with exotic ingredients using otherworldly methods served in unique vessels. With choices for kids and libations for adults, the cantina will make for a great stop. Musical entertainment is provided courtesy of RX-24, the former Starspeeder 3000 pilot droid we first met in Star Tours, who has re-envisioned himself as the cantina's DJ. As quirky and talkative as ever, he's still trying to do his best on the job. Um, so that sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, honestly, when they first announced they were making a Star Wars expansion to Disneyland, the first thing I thought of was like, man, I'm sure there's going to be some cool rides and stuff in there, but I just want to like sit down and have a drink in a cantina. And that's exactly what we're going to be able to do. This sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I think, you know, they're kind of hinting that like, you'll probably get to interact with some Star Wars characters in there. Um, and that it's going to be just sort of very immersive and feel like an actual, uh, Star Wars Cantina. You got Rex, the old Star Tours droid. Um, it's going to be DJing up the place. Um, and I think this has actually been causing a little bit of controversy because apparently this is going to be the first place in Disneyland that's allowed to serve alcohol. And it's kind of just been yeah. like a, a longstanding tradition that Disneyland doesn't serve alcohol. They do in California Adventure, which is right across the way. But this is going to be the first place within sort of Disneyland proper um, that serves alcoholic beverages, which I have no problem with because, I mean, it's a Star Wars cantina. I'm... I think that's going to be pretty cool. And I mean, I'm sure they'll probably have security there or something, um, making sure that people aren't going crazy with it. I'm sure the drinks probably also won't be that strong. Cause I remember I even had, um, I had some kind of drink in like the jazz kitchen in downtown Disney. And even there they, you I think, lush. I think they had like a two drink limit and they told us that, you know, they didn't make them that strong cause they didn't want people, you know, getting, super drunk or whatever at Disneyland. So um, I don't think well, it's going to be that big of an issue. I, you know, I, I don't think they're going to, uh, you know, they'll definitely be keeping tabs on that and making sure people don't get rowdy and whatever. But um, yeah, as, as far as the cantina itself, I think this sounds really fun. 
I also think that like with this whole drinking thing is like Disney it's Star Wars lands is not necessarily like a Walt Disney creation. You know, I feel yeah. it's a little bit different. And I think that because it's Star Wars, that's where they're it's like California, California adventure is not it's on Disneyland, but it's a separate park, you know, from Disneyland mm-hmm. with with this. I kind of feel like it's their way of saying, well, it's not technically it's a part of Disneyland, but it's not really a part of Walt's Disney it's it's a total separate thing. So what's allow people drinking there? Just because we know the profits alone from them selling alcohol in Star Wars Land is gonna be ridiculous. And you know, and so for me, it's like, you know, you keep it, you keep tradition in the traditional park area, but in Star Wars, it's a different. It's not Disney. That's an acquisition they purchased. It, you know, does that make sense? It, yeah. I just feel it's so I different. Gotcha. It's so separate from their actual park that it's not going to be. I don't see even for me. I don't really care if they did or didn't, to be honest. But I think to me, that's their 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 cop out is like, you know what? This isn't necessarily Walt's thing. This is the thing we purchased, and we just it's not the same thing. This is not Walt's Disney, and it's a different. You know, this is going to attract a lot of the same people, but not all the same people. Like it's going to be a different. At least in my opinion, I think it's be a different mindset as far as it going into Star Wars than with. Disney, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And it like it's even though the the expansion is technically within Disneyland, I mean it's not like you're serving beers in Fantasyland, right? Like, you know, and it's gonna be I'm sure it's all gonna be very specialized, you know, Star Wars themed drinks and stuff. It's not like you know, they're gonna be serving like Bud Light. Um yeah. I mean, like, who knows? They might serve Bud Light just with a different Star Wars they won't, slapped on it. They won't right. understand what you're talking about if that's what you say you want. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Have to say the specific name. Exactly. Um, yeah, it's, I'm interested too in the whole interactions, like the stuff that's going to be happening in there. Because uh, at one hand, it's going to be cool if you like stormtroopers come up to your table and like make a comment or whatnot. But I hope they don't go too overboard with like some like smuggler or like bounty hunter pirate type thing coming up to your table, with, like trying to make a deal or just do something dis- distracting where you interact. It was, that could be fun for some people, but that's not really my cup of tea. But I think it'd be cool if they have like stage events that happen there where like a fight plan like fight breaks out a bunch like some patrons there and then the first order stormtroopers have to come and break it up and just add to that little you know cantina vibe of like anything can happen there rough fights and stuff like that as long as you know of course it'd be all stage and everything that could be kind of cool to experience and really have that cantina feel and like some happening to Luke and Ponda Baba in A New Hope, but not necessarily where <laughs> someone comes to get their arm chopped off with a lightsaber, even though that'd probably be a cool effect that they can pull it off. But just stuff like that, like certain things happening, causing commotion throughout the cantina would be really cool. Yeah. No, yeah, that would be cool. I'm sure they'll have some, you know, interactive kind of stuff in there. And um, I don't know. I just think the whole Star Wars vibe of the place looks and sounds really cool. So, yeah, it's just, uh, like you said, it's going to be awesome just to be able to sit together in a cantina. Just being in that environment is going to be really cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, all right. Well, that's all the news we've got to talk about. So let's uh, jump to our big topic of the week. Um, again, we're talking about our uh, top five favorite moments from the new Disney Star Wars films. Um, and this was something that we had originally put out just as a question to you guys on Twitter. And we got so many responses from it. Um that we decided, you know what, hey, this would be fun to uh, do as a discussion topic for an episode and kind of give our own um, responses to this. And, you know, I mean, there's so many to pick. We couldn't just pick 
just one. So we did a whole top five list, um, which is technically going to be like a top six list because I think we all have um, an honorable mention that we're going to do too. So, um, but let's start with the honorable mentions. We'll just jump right in here. Um, and Paul, you want to give us yours first? Of course you go to me first. <laughs> of course can, you do that. I can go somewhere else. Go to Tim. I, I need to have Tim go first because I'm, I'm flip-flopping between my fifth and honorable mention a lot. So uh, go with him first. Okay, okay we'll out. give you time to think. Tim, Tim, we'll, right. what's your honorable mention? Yeah, needless to say, this is a tough list to come up with for all of us. It's very tough. <laughs> Harder than I thought it would right be. Now. Uh, but, yeah, so, man, I easily could have done like a top 10 or 15 moments from the Disney era Star Wars films. I really, it was tons of great moments, but... Um, number, well, I should say my honorable mention, um, is probably going to, I'm going to go with Luke's death in the last Jedi. And even though it was a somber moment and seeing your childhood hero that you've grown up loving pretty much your whole life die on screen, I felt they really couldn't have done it in a better way. And just what they said in the movie and even the title of the track on the soundtrack, uh, peace and purpose was so fitting for Luke to go out that way, displaying Jedi force abilities like never before projecting himself all across the galaxy on crate, causing, you know, enough distraction against Kylo Ren for the resistance and just pretty much the last hope of the galaxy to escape so it could prevail. It's inspire the galaxy, be that spark, and then just visually how it played out. I mean, it was just so beautifully done. Him sitting on that rock looking at two sons again where it all his adventure began on in episode four on Tatooine looking at the twin sons the beautiful music we hear the force theme again as he's looking up to the sky peace and purpose his mission was accomplished his purpose in the galaxy fulfilled and he fades away it was just so beautifully directed the music the shots the lighting everything just Mark Hamill's facial expression it was just perfectly done like it wasn't anything of regret he just like he just had that look on his face like i i did it i'm back but he served his purpose and it's time for luke to go away so even though it was tough to hold back the water the waterworks when the (laughs) scene in the theater i still don't have completely dry eyes when i watch that scene that's how impactful and meaningful it is to me every time i see it so um that one it was kind of tough to leave it out of the top five, but I definitely had to give it my honorable mention because it's such an important, beautiful moment over the course of the saga and, of course, of the four movies that we're going to be trying to figure out our top moments from. So, yeah, honorable mention, Luke's death. All right. Um, Paul, did you pick your – did you decide which one gets your honorable mention yet? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, it's – I'm rotating. I, I would say the the flight or the Falcon flies. Um, the scene on Jakku when um, Ray and Finn take the Falcon and they're flying around Jakku yeah. for the first time. That's that scene is just pure joy for me. Like that to me seems so Star Wars, and I just love it to death. And it always makes me just really. I, it kind of caps off the Force the, the Force Awakens and that to me, where 
it, it's like I love the movie all the way through from beginning to right when that ends. And then it kind of I've always said it kind of kind of hit some rocky patches between then and, and when Kylo Ren and and uh and Han Solo meet up later on. But uh which I still love Force Awakens, just you know, and everything. But that scene itself, I think, is so Star Wars and so much fun to watch. It's it's it really is JJ getting Star Wars at its finest, in my opinion. And so that would be my honorable mention for that. You know, I'm gonna cheat here. Um, there's, so, I mean, obviously we're talking about our favorite moments from four movies. One movie, I didn't have any moments that made my top list. So I'm just going to go ahead and give an honorable mention to the entirety of The Force Awakens. Um, wow. Because there's, I mean, there's so many great I can't moments. believe it. I know you can't. I know you can't. Well, and here's <laughs> the thing. Here's surprised. the thing. Not to, not to give it away here, but my, my number five that I'll talk about in a moment probably should be my honorable mention but then i couldn't settle on one moment from the force awakens to put as my number five um because there's so many great moments on here i just couldn't decide which one to pick i love the moment that you just talked about paul the um you know the falcon chase on jakku i love the moment when uh poe and finn escape on the tie fighter together for the first time and you know they blow up that last turret and the music swells and they're like cheering and they're like instant best buds i love that moment um, obviously, you know, the lightsaber duel at the end is great. All the stuff with Kylo Ren, I love. He's easily my favorite character from the new trilogy. Um, the, uh, you know, I, I love that scene on, uh, Takodana where all the X-Wings come skimming over the water. Um, but, you know, again, I, I couldn't just, I, I couldn't settle on one of those to make it onto my list. Um, and I feel like there's... You know, as much as I love all of those moments, like there were some from the other movies that just, you know, I had to place higher. So The Force Awakens gets my honorable mention. Um, yeah, I wasn't expecting that movie to be the one that's not going to I know, I know. I tricked you. I tricked you. You're right. You're right. Um, well, should I just go into my number five then? Yes, yeah, let's go into your number five. Okay, what my is, number it? five is the Darth Maul scene from Solo, A Star Wars Story. Um, and I put this on here for one wow. very particular reason. Um, because, again, I feel like this really should be an honorable mention because within the movie itself, I mean, it's a cool scene, but it doesn't really contribute a whole lot to the overall story. Um, you know, it's not, like, super impactful or whatever, so it wasn't... You know, again, it feels like something that, you know, I could have left as an honorable mention, Ritter, but the reason I had to put it on my list, um, especially because, like I said, I couldn't settle on just one moment from The Force Awakens to put on here instead. You know, all the rumors that we follow on this show and and all the stuff that we talk about and all the stuff that we get excited about and look forward to and speculate about, um, this scene was like... I think it was the first time watching all of the new films that I was really shocked. Like, you think about all the kind of big twist moments and whatever. Um, Kylo Ren killing Han Solo. We all saw that coming. Or at least the fact that Han was going to die in that movie. I mean, I think all of us knew, like, just the moment that Harrison Ford signed on, we're like, he's not making it out of this. Um, Rogue One, you know, the Vader scene at the end obviously is awesome. But, like, we knew that Vader was going to be in the movie. So that wasn't like completely out of left field. And then of course there's a lot of stuff in the last Jedi that was surprising, but it was, you know, answers to questions that we already had coming into the movie and, you know, it either lived up to your expectations or it didn't. Um, but 
you know, there was this whole sort of buildup in Solo and hinting that there was somebody else behind the scenes and the leader of this Crimson Dawn syndicate. Um, and, you know, I was sitting there wondering, like, oh, is it Vader? Is it Boba Fett? Is it Jabba the Hutt? Is it some other new character? Darth Maul was absolutely nowhere on my radar. <laughs> um, and this was something, that, again, like coming into the movie, I, I don't think this had even been hinted at, that there was going to be, you know, some big bad guy behind the scenes. And so we hadn't really even speculated about that. I think we might have heard a rumor that, like, Vader might have a cameo in the movie or something like that. And obviously that didn't end up happening. Um, but I just remember sitting there in the theater for the first time when you finally see that hologram and I'm immediately analyzing. I'm like, okay, it's not Vader. It's not both. It's, I mean, but it kind of looks like a Sith Lord. Like he's got a cloak. I see like a metal foot, but at first I thought it was a boot or something. And I'm like, is this like some new cyborg guy or whatever? And then as soon as you hear the the words of Sam Witwer coming out of his mouth and I realized it was Maul, my jaw hit the floor and I was like shaking that entire scene. And the, again, its importance in the story of that actual movie is minimal, but its ramifications for potential, you know, live action Star Wars movies down the line, I think is huge. And it's, I mean, Darth Maul's a character I never expected to see again. He seemingly gets killed off in The Phantom Menace. They brought him back in Clone Wars and in Rebels. And I thought, yeah, I mean, I love those stories, but I thought we're never going to see him in live action again because all the people that go to the theater to see the live action movies, I mean, it's a much more general audience that hasn't been watching Clone Wars and Rebels and stuff. And you're going to confuse the heck out of all those people if you bring Maul back. So I, I never expected it. Um... And seeing him on the big screen again, even though he, even though that character originated in live action um, in The Phantom Menace, I mean, seeing him again with Ray Park's face, but with Sam Witwer's voice and with the robot legs and with the, the same lightsaber that he uses in Rebels, it was almost equivalent to seeing, you know, a surprise live action cameo by like Ahsoka or Cad Bane or something like that. Um, so as a huge fan of, you know, Clone Wars and Rebels and Star Wars animation and all these interconnected stories and stuff like that, um, seeing Darth Maul come back again was just a, a huge surprise. And just for the shock factor and just the the joy and amazement of seeing that for the first time in the theater, which is like an experience I'll never forget, I had to put that on the list. So uh, that's my number five. Um, Tim, let's kick it back to you. What's your number five pick? Yeah, and that, that mall one was a hard one for me to leave off my list. <laughs> so uh, you'll probably be hearing me that a lot as I hear your guys' choices. This <laughs> the ones I wish I could have in the top five. Just how tough this is. But and I'm gonna be honest right now, I'm still going back and forth on my number five pick <laughs> right here because <laughs> it's like should be five four. I don't know, Do but... we need to go to Paul first? No, I I, I can go. I, I can go. I can go if you need me to. I, I I confidently know my number five. Okay, go ahead then. All right. Okay. So for me, and again, as of right now, and it's kind of difficult, I, all the, all the things that I picked are normally ones that I have emotional like investment into for the most part. Um, at least for a lot, a lot of my top fives usually, usually do, whether it harkens back to something that I connect with emotionally in my own childhood or something that just kind of just gets me, you know, sometimes, um, whereas sometimes, you know, you know, it's always something different compared to like the coolest moment, right? Mm -hmm. Which like Darth Maul is a cool moment and, you know, maybe it wouldn't be in my top 10. It's still a cool moment, but I just have different like things that make me just kind of invest. Well, for me, number, number five 
would be, this is really random, I know none of you guys are going to have this, is when Han shot Beckett at the very end of Han Solo. Ah, and, and the reason, now the reason why is because to me that is a defining moment for Han Solo and I love that. I love the fact that the, you you put this investment into Han that Han looks up to Beckett the entire time. Like every, you know, I've rewatched Solo a ton, and I, and I haven't rewatched it all the way through in a while, but because I've I've been watching it literally right through the Vandor uh, ch- train scene. So I've seen Han just love um, on Beckett like crazy. Like you, he just admires him so much, and I just think that. You know what it represents with him firing first onto onto Beckett before he does. I love the play on the whole Greedo situation. Like who shot first? It's like Han. Like that question. Like hits Beckett while he's talking, mm-hmm. and it's like I love what it represents. It represents that. It's kind of like it's tongue in cheek and like and not even saying like Han shot first. Like it's almost like ha ha ha. Like you know this is like kind of a nod to it, mm-hmm. but also what it represents in the character and that that forms Han going forward forever because he's so optimistic at that point. But after like, like to me, you have the whole thing with what's her name, um, Kira that eventually forms him like his rest of his life. Well, killing Beckett also is a part of that. Like to me, like, I guess that whole sequence just to me is like, it forms Han forever. And I just love that about that, that, that shot, so, you know, where Hans just has the blaster on, on Beckett and then Beckett's like, you know, ready to fire at him, and then he just hits him, and then he and he hawks over, and he, it's almost and it's played for laughs to an extent when he even says, "How's a how's a good smart move, kid? I would have I was gonna kill you," and Han doesn't change his face, like he's he hates what he had to do. I just love that, and I just connect the fact that this character did not want to do what he did, but he had to do it to survive, and that essentially what forms Han going forward until he meets Luke and Leia. So I don't know. I just love, love that scene. And I just, it always makes an impact for me when I see it. I know it's kind of cheesy and I, I it, honestly, it rotates in and out, but I just, I, it always, when I think about it, I'm like, you know, I've always loved that scene. I definitely always go think about it. when I think about solo Star Wars stories, one of the first things I think about. So yeah, Beckett gets killed by Han, my number five. Nice. Yeah. And I think right off the bat, it's safe to say for all of us, these lists are very fluid and could change, you know, on any given day, depending on what we're in the mood for and what we're currently watching and all that kind of stuff. I mean, and like we said, it was really hard to narrow these down just to, I mean, hard to narrow it down to five in the first place and then to put it in any sort of order um, was pretty tough. But, you know, this this is kind of our take on it right now and just for the sake of, you know, doing some ranking and making a list out of it. So, um, Tim, do you have a, a definitive number five yet for the moment? <laughs> yes, I do. And it's also going to be from Solo. And it's going to be the moment where Chewie goes into the co-pilot seat and Han and Chewie fly the Falcon together for the first time in the Kessel Run. And just really that whole sequence of the Kessel Run in general is amazing. It's probably my favorite sequence of the whole movie. And they're just the film is filled with great Han and Chewie moments. And I've said before in our review for one of my favorite moments is just that simple scene with Chewie putting his arm on Han's shoulder when Kira flies away, you know, and then but Chewie's going to be with him for the rest of his life after that. There's just something very beautiful about that. But thinking back and watching the sequence again, that moment where Chewie 
goes in that co-pilot's chair. Han looks at him. He has a smile on his face. They're playing the classic music from Star Wars, A New Hope. It just, how can you not have a smile on your face? So that was one of the biggest smile moments I had over the course of these four new movies is that moment right there with Han and Chewie. Just knowing of all the adventures that they're going to have on the Falcon that we've seen on screen. And we know that they've had off screen, too. And there's other stories that uh, we've either read about them in comics or novels. It just that's where it all began. That iconic ship, that iconic partnership of them flying it together is just something really, really cool. Just how it all began, and then what the sequence that played out afterwards with them working together, just how quickly they knew each other and how to respond to like each other's commands and piloting the Falcon it was just so seamless and captured that chemistry that Han and Chewie had. It was just right there from the get go. But just that one moment where Chewie sits down and Han gets that smile along his face, just knowing that special bond. That's gonna that's forming right there. I thought it was just something really, really cool that, like I said, brought a huge smile to my face. It's just one of my favorite moments that'll always, you know, make you feel good when you're watching a Star Wars movie and seeing those two characters like that for the first time that you've known and loved for so many years was fantastic. Yeah, for sure. That was a good one too. I mean, there's and I need to go back and watch Solo again. Um, yes, you but, do. Yeah, I'll, I know. I'll, I'll, I know. <laughs> I I have a copy of it now, thanks to Paul. Um, that's right. So but, do I as well. I thought we should give a special thanks to Paul for providing us some early copies of Solo. Yeah, Paul's well, got the hookups. Well, <laughs> not not really, but uh, yeah, it was. That's a, that's a story for another day at one point. But yes, <laughs> you're, you guys are you guys are my homies. Got to hook you guys up too. Um. All right. Well, well, by the way, really really quickly, we all picked a movie apart uh, from Solo for number five. By the way, we did. <laughs> we did. And I'll be interested to see if that happens again. For uh, well, I can tell you that won't happen for solo again for the rest of the list, but we'll see yeah, if it happens yeah. for uh, you know, if any, do we have any more rounds where we all pick the same movie. Um, so I'll go ahead with my number four, and this is gonna be uh, the Snoke throne room scene from The Last Jedi. Um, honestly, this is one that I almost didn't put on my list because I figured somebody else was probably mm. going to talk about it too. And I could just, you know, chime <laughs> in and mention it. Um, but well, I, picked, yeah. <laughs> I, I actually ended up picking this one for a very specific reason. Um, because, uh, well, not to jump too far ahead here, but I have two other scenes from the last Jedi on my list. Um, and I was initially going to leave this one off, but then I realized I needed a Kylo Ren moment because like I said, he's my favorite character from the sequel trilogy. Um, I said, I got to pick a moment that highlights just how much I love that character. And I was thinking through, um, you know, through both the force awakens and the last Jedi, I'm like, what's my favorite Kylo Ren moment. And I'm like, if I had to pick just one, it probably would be this scene. Um, and you know, the, build up to it with, you know, Kylo's connection with Rey and the way that he's been kind of treated by Snoke um, and the way that Snoke kind of berates him for his failure at the beginning of the movie. Um, and I mean, just overall, I love the complexity of him as a character. And so to see him starting to turn and then to see him, you know, bring Rey before Snoke um, and, you know, the whole scene where, uh, you know, Snoke is just throwing Rey around and he thinks he's all in control. And then he tells Kylo to, to strike her down and he tricks Snoke and kills him instead to see, you know, just sort of that twist and to see him take control of his own destiny and be like, you know what? No, I'm not going to just be your apprentice and your little, you know, dark side puppet anymore. Um, and that's the moment where you think, oh, is this guy going to turn? Is he, you know, and to see him fighting back to back with Ray against all the Praetorian guards, obviously it was an awesome action moment, 
but then also just what it represented for the character, just this moment of hope of like, oh, is this villain who we all thought was irredeemable after he killed his father, like, is he actually going to come back to the light side? And then in the resolution of all that, when, uh, you know, Ray tries to get her, or, try, or actually, no, it's him who tries to get Ray to join him. Um, and he's like, you know, come with me. We can rule all of this. And she's like, oh, man, like, we were so close. I thought I had this. I thought, you know, you saw the evil of your ways and you were going to come with me and be a Jedi again. Um, but, you know, just him sort of still staying on that path and solidifying himself as a villain, but also one who is, you know, making his own choices and taking control of his own destiny. I thought that was just a really great moment for that character. On top of also being just a really awesome fight, you know, that whole showdown in the throne room is great. Um, had some great moments for Ray too. And I also really love Andy Serkis's performance as Snoke. And that's probably, um, his biggest shining moment out of both of those movies is in that scene as well. So, um, just a really, a, a culmination of a lot of great stuff in that scene. So that's why I picked that as my number four. And I'm not joking. This was my number four as well. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Like, like, well, I mean, wow. I put, I, I put like throne room Praetorian uh, guard scene. It's all, all basically the same. I think that that whole sequence is, I think the best part of the movie and I think they should have ended the movie there at some extent to me. It's like, I feel that it was done. It was such a great ending for all the characters that they could have just ended it. And then crate could almost could have been totally ex, you know, chopped out. And then you could maybe have Luke show up with the resistance and still survive episode eight. Like, I just feel like there's an alternate universe where I just love the last Jedi, even though I don't love Ray Rando. I love the last Jedi. <laughs> like way more and like because they cut that last part that chunk of the movie even though the crate is not terrible i i just think the throne room scene is that good it's just so good i feel it needs to be its own like thing um i like everything you said kyle the fact that like all the performances are really solid i mean look at adam driver he doesn't like hardly say anything but he's acting with his face he just looks, it's, oh, he's perfect. I mean, everyone, Daisy Ridley does a, a great job. Everyone does a great job. Um, I love, like, one of my favorite scenes, you know, parts of the movie is when uh, when the lightsaber goes off on Snoke and then Kylo pulls the lightsaber towards him and then Ray catches it. Like, mm -hmm. that is, like, straight up, I, I get goosebumps when I watch it. When, I, when it first happened mm -hmm. in the theater, I was like, okay, what's going Cheers on? Cheers every time I saw yeah, it in the yeah. theater. Every, mm -hmm. Everyone cheered when they teamed up. Everyone did. And it was like, you know, I remember, you know, even me, I'm like, okay, I have no idea what they're going with this. And I like it. Like I was, it wasn't what I was expecting and it was good. It was a good thing. And I don't know. I loved the, the fight choreography was great, even though people pointed out flaws in it. And I wish they never had because like, you <laughs> I know, know right now you can't unsee it. Yeah, like like Luke barely kicking the guy in, on the sail barge. Like he whips. <laughs> I'm, like, no. I'm like every time I, I've never noticed it until someone like slowed it down and went no. Yeah. Well, I yeah, I've it, seen like, I've seen a gif of it that people post a lot, and I mean just the fact that and just in that quick little clip that's in the gif, it's like you see him kick the air, the guy goes flying, and then Boba Fett just goes flailing past in the background. <laughs> it's hilarious. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's but there is some stuff like that in the in the the fight scene. But you know, in the moment, and the reason why I don't like. It hasn't ruined it for me is because in the moment, I'm not worried about that stuff. I'm just kind of t- going with it. Yeah. And because I never noticed it c- until someone pointed it out to me and they had to point it out to me. But, um, but yeah, I, and it's hard to believably about- choreograph like a two versus eight fight scene where the two don't get killed in five seconds. Right. I mean, they, I, there's, they've could have done something a little bit better. I feel like, especially with all the, um, you know, with all, all, all that stuff, whatever they, they could have done something, but whatever. I, I still love what they did. I don't dislike it one, one bit. I obviously some number four thing of all the sequel trilogy moments. So yeah, I think this is just a, a, a beautifully shot scene. That I think that he, Ryan Johnson came up with. I love it to death. Um, I think it's one of the, it's definitely one of the stronger things in a sequel trilogy or excuse me, in this Disney era of films. And it may not be, you know, right now it's a number four. It could stay, depending on what happens. Again, my my love of Last Jedi really depends on Episode Nine. If Episode Nine ends well, I could end up. It could be like number two or three. I don't know. It's it really depends on what where these characters go because I want I want to have a satisfying ending. And to me, that's where it kind of holds it at number four for me right now. Is I have to have a satisfying ending. So, so yeah. But I, I think by itself, I I, I watch it. I'm like, oh, this is beautiful, beautifully shot, acted, everything. I love it. Nice. Um, yeah, you'll be hearing from me about the throne room scene a little later. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, Tim, so for, what, what's in uh, your number four spot instead? Yeah. So for me, number four is something that probably, if you asked me a few months ago, wouldn't be in my top five, but I've just come to love it so much. And that's going to be from The Last Jedi where Luke teaches Rey about the Force. That mm. whole sequence once you know after uh, luke hits her with the tree leaf and he really <laughs> tells her she realized oh i gotta look inside myself or feel inside myself once she starts telling luke what she's feeling through the force and then we get the visualization of it seeing like life grow and then the decaying uh, death that's there with the skeletons and the, the mother poor protecting her little porgs and all that stuff was beautifully done and what i love it so much about it is that you know, we've had moments over across the Star Wars saga about, you know, the Force being taught from Obi-Wan to Luke, a Qui-Gon to Anakin. Um, but the one that stands out for me in this one is Rey's reaction to it. You just see the joy in her face once she realizes she feels that same Force inside of her and she smiles. There is something really great about that where you never really got from Luke in A New Hope when he's training with Obi-Wan. He kind of just says, yeah, I did feel something there. And Anakin was still kind of a little kid and confused when Qui-Gon was explaining things. But the pure joy of discovering that within herself and how the force she feels and the balance that she feels on the planet she has inside herself too. And when she realizes that and has that smile, this is really great. I love that aspect of it. It's probably my favorite you know, force teaching moment out of the whole saga so far it's it's really a scene that i just come to love every time i watch it and it's a standout in the last jedi i also love too luke's what he's trying to teach there even though kind of by the end he you know realizes that maybe that wasn't the right way but i think he still has a point in where he is right where he goes um like that goes this is the lesson don't you see that to think the jedi wiped out the light vanishes is vanity there is truth to that, that it is the case where just because the Jedi are gone doesn't mean the light vanishes. And so I just think that that is something that could have been explored on a little more because I would have been OK with it if 
as we were speculating the title of The Last Jedi and everything we were seeing from it, Luke saying the Jedi have to end, if it really would be the end of the Jedi and they would start something new, Ray would be the first of a new order or something to that effect. But of course, by the end, it was, you know, Luke tells Kylo Ren that he will not be the last Jedi. The Jedi order will carry on. Ray has the books. But I wouldn't think it would have been the worst thing in the world if that was a realization that, you know, came to be about from Luke stating that line there, because I think there is truth to that. So mm-hmm. that little aspect there, but majority of just the pure joy and experience that Ray had of feeling the force and understanding it for the first time and just how clear everything became to her, I thought was shown beautifully there. So yeah, that's going to be my number four. Yeah. And you know, funny enough, that was also almost my number four. And instead I picked the same number four as Paul. That one didn't actually make my list. Um, I I think originally I was maybe going to put that one on here and then decided to go with the throne room scene instead, because like I said, I wanted to pick something that kind of highlighted Kylo Ren. But um, yeah, that is a fantastic scene i agree with you know pretty much everything you said there about just the way that it portrays like just luke explaining the force and just you know it's probably the best force teaching moment in the whole saga well uh for me it's insert ron burgundy gift well agree to disagree (laughs) (laughs) i i know from you it didn't get off to the best of start (laughs) when ray says yes telling luke about you know kylo and strong in the dark side of the force that's a skywalker Kylo Ren is for the dark side of the force. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, she's that's reciting great. her practiced speech that she had, you know, been thinking yes. up on the Falcon yes. ride over there, trying to convince him to turn back to the light. And she's realizing that she has no idea what's really going on here. So here's the here's the one thing I'll say about it. The one thing I'll say is that it I bought into the fact that she's pretty naive and that that's why she's acting like that. It's not like it's um, what's the word I'm looking for. I understand that she's, she's doing that because she doesn't know better. She, like, she doesn't realize that Luke doesn't know, understand what's going on. And it makes more sense when I look into that, but the her, just Daisy Ridley's lion performance of that is just not great. I just always I mean, take it too, where she's trying her best to like, sound proper like as a jedi student would talk to her master but yet she's never done that before or hasn't been trained to do that before so that's why it kind of comes off as a little awkward as well but i will say every time i see that now i can't help but laugh thinking of your impression of that (laughs) (laughs) uh, it always cracks me up yeah all right well should we jump into the number threes um let's see paul you want to give us yours first my number three. Well, hold on a second. I just lost my. There it is. I almost lost my little list here. But three and two come from the same movie. Spoiler alert. So I have to make sure I didn't. Yeah, here we go. So my number three is going to be the Holy City ambush um, in Rogue One. Uh, one of the things I love about Rogue One is how different of tone it is. Just like Solo, a Star Wars story is very different of tone. Rogue One is very much different in its own sense, and it's very much a war film in Star Wars. Like everyone would, you know, a lot of people didn't wouldn't say it's a true blue like war film, but for me to to make for a massive audience that kids could go to you, this is as close to a war film in Star Wars you're gonna get. Like mm-hmm. it puts the war in Star Wars. So I love everything about it, the way it's choreographed. It feels it feels like just so tight and in, in a tight battle scene and i love how like vicious and like ruthless it is like from from the the partisans point mm-hmm. of view 
I love that. I love the performance from Jin and, and Cassian and everything. I love seeing the stormtroopers, the new tanks and, and everything. I love everything about it. It's just such a great, great, intense scene. I'll never forget when we were watching it with, I was watching it with my wife for the first time and the scene where the little girls like crying and she's in the middle of the action. Well, and Morgan does not ever respond to these things. My wife and when that little kid was crying in the middle of the thing, and this is not, again, this is not a saga film, so it's not, we don't know who lives or dies. She audibly gasped, and she, and she knows the stuff. Like, I was like, she never does that. And she gasped when that kid was on during that sequence, because it was a really intense scene. Morgan was caught up and like, oh my gosh, like, people are going to die. Like, we've already had partisans die, Cassie, and like, the way they set it up, like, you know, she almost bought into the fact that, they're going to kill this little girl. And let's be real. They, we all knew they weren't going to, but yeah, because Disney, but at the same time, like she was wrapped in and I was like, Whoa, it, it really surprised me. And I've always loved how intense that scene was. And it's, it's beautifully shot. It really is. Gareth Edwards yeah. really killed it on that sequence. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I know that, you know, we had that guy, other guy come in and do a lot of the reshoots of the film or whatever, but for me, I really feel like Gareth Edwards should be commended for like a lot of stuff like that. That's totally Gareth's scene, and it really works, and I love it, love it to death. Yeah, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I actually prefer the Battle on Jeddah more than the Battle of Scarif. I think it's yeah, I just get more out really? of that act sequence than I do on Scarif. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not the space battle. The space battle is yes, a separate I'll agree thing. With that. Mm, yeah, yeah. And, and but if you just put the ground battle on Scarif, I 100% agree with you. Mm-hmm. Like, it's still great. I mean, the Scarif battle is still great, but it pales in comparison to the intensity of the Jedi, uh, the battle in the Holy City. Like, that is to me, if you would have, if you would have reversed it, have that with um, Jedi was the end and the space battle was with inner inner cut with the Jedi scene, you would be, it would be so much more intense to me. It would just be like insane. So, for me, I, I totally with you, Tim. I, I, I like Scarif, but Jeddah's way more intense. Yeah, it's like a type of battle and skirmish we haven't seen before in Star Wars, like in occupied city streets. Mm. I mean, where, like you said, civilians are getting involved in it, too. So, And it was a well-balanced fight, too, because as the, pardons, or the partisans were making their surprise attacks on the Imperials and the Empire, the Empires took out a good portion of the partisans, too. So it wasn't like the Empire were just getting ambushed and weren't getting their shots in there, too. So Yeah. That's just oh, yeah, and of course they have the ATSD come in there and start <laughs> exactly. blasting people. So, yeah, that was actually a tough one to leave off the list, too. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if we had a top, like, 10 or 15, that would definitely be on there for me. Yeah. Um, well, Tim, you want to go ahead and jump to your number three? Yeah, my number three. This is one that is kind of a no-brainer that I was almost tempted to leave off because I'm sure you're all going to have it, and pretty much almost every fan is, would probably say it's in their top five. But it's amazing. I have to put it on there. Uh, it's going to be the Vader sequence from Rogue One. I mean, wow. Like you said it before, Kyle, we knew Vader was going to be in this movie before we even saw him in the trailers, but we were always wondering in what capacity. You know he has to have some cool sequence. And boy, did it deliver. I wasn't expecting it to be this, but man, I'm so glad (laughs) this is what they decided to go with. That, you know, just that horror vibe it had, that dark room, and then that lightsaber ignites, and you're just seeing Vader mow down (laughs) those uh, rebellion troopers that we've seen in their costumes from A New Hope, but just seeing him take them down was just a sight to behold and i always will always remember the buzz that was going on in the theater 
after Rogue One ended. But of course, this leads directly into the ending of Rogue One. And man, this there is such a buzz in the theater that I'll never forget and that I don't think I've ever experienced before in the movie theater where everyone was just like still cheering, like high fiving each other, just going, wow, and like, how amazing was that? I mean, this is the type of stuff, scenes like this is why these standalone films are so awesome to get. And when sometimes you hear people, why do we need this movie or do we really need separate Star Wars films? Like, it's, we wouldn't have cool sequences like this. I mean, a few years ago, this would be unimaginable thinking about getting a new action sequence with Darth Vader in it. And we've got it. How amazing is that? And so mm. that's just what makes these standalone films such a beauty to have is getting moments like this from characters we know and love that we didn't think would see again in movies. And here they are being getting more awesome stuff for us to love them even more. So, yeah, it was beautifully directed with how it was shot, the lighting, seeing Vader do some awesome stuff. The music was great. That final shot of him just looking at the blockade runner that flies off and that broken part of Radish's ship. You see him out in space with the stormtroopers behind him. It just looks amazing. So, yeah, that one was my number three choice. I mean, like I said, it's probably a no-brainer. I'm sure you guys are going to have it on your list, too. And if not, I'm sure it was a tough one for you to leave off. But it's just something that, you know, was such quite an amazing Star Wars experience to get while in the theater and seeing it for the first time. It was just so, so cool. Well, I will hold my tongue on that one for now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I... Well, well, I'll go into my number uh, two then. Wait, I didn't get to my number three yet. Wait, you haven't? No. Well, okay, never mind. Continue. Um, <laughs> I apologize. Yeah, no, no, that's yeah, right. We, 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 no we, we switched up the order a bit. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm all confused. Yeah, ah! I'm, I'm trying to. Well, I mean, I we, we can go in the same order. I was just trying to shake I'm things sorry. up a little bit. Um, but go. so my number three, and actually I'm. I, I made a last-minute decision to flip-flop my number two and my number three. Um, my number three is going to be the Luke and Yoda scene from The Last Jedi. Um, just, you know, seeing... I mean, that's probably my favorite, like, nostalgic moment in um, in the sequel trilogy and in all these new films. Um, seeing puppet Yoda again... Um, hearing Frank Oz coming back and doing the voice and just, you know, those callbacks to The Empire Strikes Back and seeing Luke as, um, you know, someone who obviously finished his training and sort of reached the heights of a Jedi Master and then has sort of, you know, fallen off of that path, you know, due to, like, the failures that he suffered and stuff. But to see him older and wiser and having gone through all this stuff and still having lessons to learn from his master... Um, and there's just, you know, the first time I saw that in the theater, there was just something so special about, um, I mean, from the first moment where you, the camera kind of pans across and you just see the back of Yoda's force ghost head. Um, and you're like, oh man, this is going to be really cool. Um, and then to, uh, you know, Luke's about to go and burn the tree down and Yoda's like, or Luke's like, you know, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to burn it. And he walks up and stops and goes, eh, maybe I shouldn't. And Yoda doing what we've never seen before, a force ghost actually interacting with the physical world and, yep. you know, kind of uses <laughs> the force so cool. to call down a lightning bolt and just burn the tree. And Luke's like, wait, no, the sacred Jedi text. And Yoda's just laughing, like, you know, and, and import, imparts that wisdom on him. Like, after all this time, you still think that, you know, the future of the Jedi Order depends on a pile of old books. You know, page turners, they were not. Um, you know, and then just 
the the imagery of the two of them sitting together watching the tree burn as yoda imparts more jedi wisdom to luke and yoda's theme plays in the background i just freaking love that scene to death um the the just the way it's shot and the visuals are beautiful the music is beautiful um and just you know seeing those two characters together again and you know any little knowledge and bits of jedi wisdom that we can learn from yoda um is always going to be great stuff so i just you know that's one of my favorite scenes from the last jedi that i kind of go back and forth on it being my favorite scene from the movie but like i said you know thinking about the next spot on my list i was like eh, i think there's one that i have to put above that um but that's a really special one for me so that's my number three spot um, but Paul, if you're so eager, I think now we can let you go ahead and wow. jump to your number two. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish I would have planned this a little bit better. I wish you would have went before cause it would have bled into, uh, from, from, from Tim's. Yeah. This was my, uh, number two was the Vader sequence. Uh, I think it was, it's just one of those things where we finally get to see Vader cut loose. We've never seen him cut loose before. And just, you know, he's toyed with Luke. He's, he's held back with Luke. He's, you know, it's, it's whatever. I mean, he's, he's gone, he's gone. I think, you know, to, in my opinion, I think he's gone after Luke at the end of return of the Jedi. I think he actually does like, you know, go after him at some point and, and Luke vice versa. But for the most part, we haven't seen Vader be like Vader. And that was a small mm-hmm. taste of what we could see in another potential film or whatever. And it was great. It was it was a, an amazing thing to see, and it was it's just so what we always want, all, what we always thought Vader could do on film, we got to see on film, like for, for for the first time it feels like, even though we've got three films of him in the suit, you know, with with, with a lightsaber, we got to see him cut loose and, and really show what he can do and why he's the most feared man in the galaxy that everyone knows, and he's a boogeyman and whatnot. So. It's it's a really cool thing. I, I have to say I really like what I just love what they did with that. And I don't know I don't know how 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 many times you can do that in in, in the future films and and have be a uh, have a fan service like that. But for being the first standalone film with Vader or with Vader in having a small part in it, it was perfect. I feel it was a perfect it was it was perfect perfectly placed. I, I I'm pretty sure it was an added thing too, right? Like it was a it was a um, uh, a reshot thing, from mm-hmm. my understanding, yeah. um, which which was perfect. Like that was the right thing, and that's where again, look at reshoots can be a good thing, and this was in one of them. So, yeah, I'm all I'm all about what they're doing and uh, with 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 the Vader stuff, and and I hope they do more tasteful things in the future. But yeah, this was a a fantastic, great uh, sequence that they put in. And I love it to death. I will still hold my tongue. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Tim, you want to go ahead and give us your number two? Yeah. So my number two pick is going to be what your guys. Number four pick was the throne room scene from the last Jedi. This is one of the best moments of the sequel trilogy of the new Disney era. And I just think it's one of the best moments of the saga in general, and not to repeat everything you guys said, cause I echo everything you mentioned, but I just love how it really was something we haven't seen in a Star Wars movie before where we're seeing the light side 
character and the dark side character join forces and fighting together, not against each other. It was just something so unique and cool, and it played out beautifully. Like I said, the fight sequence against the Praetorian guards was really cool. And just, you know, visually seeing Kylo Ren and Rey fight together was just awesome. And even though we kind of got a tease that something may be up with them joining forces in the trailer or the second trailer we got, where Kylo extends his hand asking Rey to join him. So we knew that was potentially going to happen. And But seeing it actually play out was just so beautifully done. Like I said, how it started off with Rey catching the lightsaber and being such a crowd cheering moment and then seeing them fight side by side was amazing to behold and it made me think as they were as it was going on is like wow is this where's the story is gonna go now are they gonna stay together join forces like what can possibly happen after this like where's the story gonna go it's such a fascinating thing i wasn't even thinking of going into it and so it was great to see that even though it looks like that is going to be the only time we'll see them team up i'm sure they'll be going at it in episode nine against each other again but even for this short little moment, it was amazing to see light side and dark side kind of working together this one time in that instance. So, yeah, it was great. Everything about Throne or Snoke's Throne Room sequence was done beautifully, I thought. Just from the buildup to Snoke interrogating Rey, Kylo killing Snoke, and then the battle, and then just Kylo asking Rey to join him. It's continuing that Skywalker theme of, you know, wanting... You know, it harkens back to Anakin, Revenge of the Sith, Darth Vader in Empire Strikes Back, and Kylo Ren's doing the same thing, asking for someone to join him in power and to rule the galaxy. So that was mm. one of those instances where the Star Wars films rhyme with each other, and I liked how The Last Jedi handled that portion of it here. So just love that sequence to death. I just think it's so important in the overall scheme of things in the Skywalker saga and just with the force in general, like I said, having the dark side and light side work together in this instance, I thought was just really, really cool to see. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. Well, my number two, which is also from the last Jedi, and I'm sure I might be stealing somebody's number one here, but um, it's going to be uh, the return of Luke Skywalker, Jedi master. Um, just his arrival at the battle on crate, mm-hmm. the first scene of, um, you know, just when he appears to Leia in the cave and, um, you know, just, they get to share that brother, sister, uh, reconnection. Um, and then him going out to face down Kylo Ren. And, uh, I mean, th- this might be a bit of a stretch cause this is a lot longer than, you know, just kind of one quick moment, but this, this whole sequence at the end of the movie, I mean, when you have all the ATM six walkers firing on him and it, you know, kicks up the huge explosion and the dust settles and just, you know, that imagery of the lone figure of Luke just stepping out of it and just brushing it off. Um, and, you know, simultaneously thinking like, man, how is that possible? Like, what did he do to survive that? And at the same time, just going, man, that is so freaking awesome right there. Um, and it's the, the Luke Skywalker that we all wanted to see all along. Um, you know, and, and I mean, I know a lot of people have conflicting opinions and views on, you know, sort of Luke's portrayal in this movie. Um, but regardless, I mean, I think, again, that Luke in this scene is the Luke that we all wanted to see coming into this movie. And we finally get to see him take up that mantle again to be the Jedi Master, to be the hero that his friends need him to be. Um, and, you know, to buy the time for their escape. And then, you know, of course, his showdown with Kylo Ren, um, 
brief as it may be, I mean, it's cool just to get to finally see Luke wield a lightsaber again. Um, and then just the moment at the end of that fight where, um, well, actually before the end of the fight, when he, you know, even just the moment where he's telling Kylo, um, you know, the rebellion is reborn today. The war is far from over and I will not be the last Jedi. Um, and just the way that it's intercutting between Luke and, you know, the new generation of resistance heroes. Um, I just think that whole sequence is really well done. And then once they're, you know, safe and away on the Falcon, um, you know, you get the resolution of the fight where, you know, you think it's going to be like uh, Obi-Wan and Vader on the Death Star again where Luke just gets himself cut down. And I was, like, dreading this moment because I did not yeah. want Luke to die in this movie <laughs> and especially didn't want to see Kylo just cut him down, you know, so easily. Um and and it was funny too because I had actually seen so I work with like social media content at work and I had seen a spoiler earlier that day and I was going to see it you know the night it came out so the whole day I was like gosh please don't see any spoilers please don't. and like half an hour before my shift ended I saw you know a Last Jedi spoiler where it said Kylo oh, Ren man. kills Luke at the end of the Last Jedi and so I was <laughs> dreading this moment for the entire movie and we finally get to I was like oh gosh here it is he's gonna kill him isn't he. Um, and Kylo charges at him with the lightsaber, cuts right through him, and Luke is still standing there, and he walks back up to him, puts the lightsaber right through his chest, and you're like, wait, 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 what is going on here? Um, and, of course, the whole time you're wondering, like, oh, maybe something's up here because we're like, well, how did Luke get there in the first place? We never saw a ship land or whatever. He just kind of shows up through the back of the cave, and he's in a different outfit. He, you know, his hair is shorter and darker, and, you know, you can tell it's Luke, but he looks a little bit different. He's got the blue lightsaber and not the green lightsaber. Um, and so it's like, wait, what's going on here? And then it cuts back to that, the, the island on Octo where he's sitting there floating and meditating and projecting himself across the galaxy to have, you know, an imaginary fight with Kylo Ren. That for me was the biggest, you know, triumphant moment, like probably got the biggest cheer out of me in the theater when I saw that movie. Um, just you know, just realizing the, I mean, it's really cool to see like the use of a new force power in that way and just Luke's ultimate mastery of the force. Um, and it's a theme that was kind of played up throughout the movie because when, you know, Ray and Kylo are interacting in all their kind of force visions, um, right at the beginning, you know, Kylo says to Ray like, oh, you can't be doing this. The effort alone would kill you. Um, and ultimately that is, you know, sort of what kills Luke at the end of the movie. Um, and honestly, like, and Tim, you know, when you talked about this earlier as your honorable mention, I really have conflicting feelings on Luke's actual death right after this scene. Mm. Um, and I totally agree with you. It's beautifully done. I just still kind of hate the fact that they did it. Like I go back and <laughs> forth on, I'm like, oh, Luke's death was so beautifully done. But at the same time, I hate them for killing Luke Skywalker. Like I wanted more of him. And especially when he finally comes back and decides to be a Jedi again, like I wanted to see him, you know, jump on board and like, help, you know, start helping Ray train the next generation of Jedi and see what they could have done with that. Um, but I just think here in this moment, um, you know, making his last stand here. And again, you know, just finally taking up that mantle again, um, even going, hearkening back to, you know, sort of when he was talking earlier in the movie about his failure and he's, Oh, I failed because I was Luke Skywalker, Jedi master, a legend. Um, and he takes up that mantle again. And, you know, I, I love the callback to that at the end of the movie, when you see the, uh, you know, the kids playing it out with their little makeshift action figures, um, and the little slave boy says, you know, Luke Skywalker, Jedi Master. Um, 
so I love just Luke living, you know, finally coming back in the scene and living up to that legend um, and just making a stand there. So that's my number two. Yeah, um, it's, it's a great moment. And man, see, it makes me think for those who have a problem with Luke's characterization in The Last Jedi, I almost seem to forget about this moment on Crate where he comes back. It is the Luke Skywalker that, like you said, we kind of expected and no one loved from the original trilogy taking up that legend aspect of what we all believe he is. So it was just really well done out with handles from his entrance to, you know, his exit as he disappeared. So yeah, great choice. Um, all right. Well, Tim, you want to go ahead and give us your number one pick? All right, here it is. And I don't think you guys would have this as your number one. And it's kind of going to be on a somber note, but I'm going to go with Han's death in the force awakens. And the reason why it's number one is even though, like you said, we all knew Han was probably going to go out in that movie, the way it was done, I thought couldn't be any more perfect. It was tragic, but yet it was kind of beautiful in a way how it was done. Just with the father and son being reunited together and the way that it kind of did a flip-flop of being tempted by the dark side. You see Kylo Ren being tempted by the light side in a way. And boy, the acting in this moment is one of my favorites, if not my favorite of the whole sequel trilogy between Harrison Ford and Adam Driver here. I mean, once Kylo Ren says those words, I'm being torn apart and you just really feel for him as Han is seeing his son say that's got to be excruciating for him to hear. And he's saying, I know what I have to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it. You know, and you're thinking and Han's thinking that, Oh, he doesn't know if he has the strength to leave Snoke in the dark side behind. But yet, as Kylo's saying, he doesn't know if he has the strength to kill his own father to fully embrace the dark side. And the way that he asks him, can you help me? And Han, of course, being the father, loving father that he is, is going to say, of course, like anything. And that's what Kylo Ren needed to hear. Like just asking, I just like how we, J.J. and Lawrence Kasdan written it and it was set up where, Kylo's asking his father permission to kill him in a way and to fully embrace the dark side and his twisted thinking there. And once he gets that okay from him, that's all he needed to ignite that lightsaber and kill Han Solo. And I mean, it stands out because that was the first, you know, major death of one of the classic trilogy characters that we've grown up loving for years and years. And like, even though we knew he was going to die, it was still an impactful moment. And just everything about that scene the acting, like I said, how it was shot, the music I thought was so fitting and so somber that fit what was going down in that moment. This everything about that moment of Han Solo's death. And the reason why, you know, Luke was my honorable mention and Han's not my number one pick. And even though Luke's, you know, up there as my favorite Star Wars character, I always go back and forth between him and Obi-Wan. But the thing about, uh, which stands apart about this one for me, why I think it's more impactful is that even though, Luke's death was kind of, you know, a surprise, like you were saying. It was I think that could have, I was going in thinking Luke could die in here and he could survive and they can go either way. But with Han's death, knowing that it was coming and it was at, as impactful as it was and kind of thinking to myself, we know Han's going to die, but how are they going to do it to make it a death that would fit the character and a fitting end to his story? And I thought they just delivered on it so much, having it come from his son just makes it tragic but yet at the end of the day Han was there for her for his son in that final moment he, even putting his hand on his face as like saying 
not that it's okay, but like he still loves him. That, that's his son there, and giving that final touch. It was just like I said, beautifully done. So it was one that definitely left an impact on me when I saw The Force Awakens for the first time, and it continues to be. Um, I think my favorite scene for all those reasons there, just because, like I said, even though it's tragic, it's not because I'm happy Han Solo is dead. I just think it's the best scene that was done in this new Disney era from every everyone involved, the actors, the director, the music, everything about it was done so perfectly. It's just a standout moment, um, which, you know, is not an easy thing to do to kill off like these iconic characters, Luke and Han, and do it as beautifully as I felt they'd done. But I think Hans was done the best here and just the story behind it in the universe too, how it's from his son, but yet he's trying to get his son back and Kylo Ren is being tempted by the light side and not the dark. Just all of it I just thought was so perfectly handled and it continues to stand out to me every time I watch it. It hasn't lost its impact when I see it every time. And I've seen The Force Awakens quite a few times now as it's still my favorite movie in this new Disney era. So... It's still as impactful as it was for me when I first saw it. That's why it's my number one movie, or well, it is my number one movie, but my number one moment from the Disney era Star Wars films. Yeah, that's a good pick because I mean th- that one didn't make my list, but it was very close. Because earlier when I was talking about the throne room scene, and I said I wanted to have at least one Kylo Ren scene on there. I mean, I was going back and forth between uh, the Snoke's throne room scene and this one. Um, for all those reasons, like you said, like it's showing that complexity of his character and him being tempted by the light side. Um, and yeah, just, you know, a, a great way for Han to go out and just, I mean, like you said, such a beautifully shot and well-acted scene and the music and everything is great. Um, it just has, you know, such a sense of sort of dread and foreboding, like from the very beginning of that scene. As soon as you, Han steps out on that walkway, you're like, oh, I got a bad feeling about this. Yeah, um, and the other it's... thing I got to mention that I forgot, Chewie's reaction, that's what mm-hmm. really hits you in the gut and tugs on your heartstrings, <laughs> that roar cry he gives out of like, oh man, I don't want to see Chewie go through that pain as losing his best friend that he's ever had, and then just seeing Solo and how that relationship um, started and began and all those great moments that they had in that movie just adds to the heartbreak when you see Chewie lose his best friend in that way. So even that's another reason that adds to it to being such an impactful death scene and moment for the character. Yeah, for sure. Um, Paul, what's your number one pick? Same thing as Tim. <laughs> oh, wow. I am shocked that you got that as number one. <laughs> I really well, am. Han versus uh, Han or Han Solo dialing, Di- dialing, dialing. Yeah, he's dialing. Uh, no, Han Solo, Han Solo dying. Um, no, it, it's number. It's my number one because it's a great moment in Star Wars history. It's well, as as far as we know, the last Skywalker descendant with his father, and we all know the saga films are about a family saga, and. It to me this this was a great moment because you've seen the brooding the the torment of Kylo Ren throughout the entire Force film of the Force Awakens. You see them face to face for the first time. Great acting on both people, like they are just acting their butts off. Such mm-hmm. great performances. Um, the dialogue is fantastic. Like I love when you know when, when Han says take off that mask. And he says, you know, what, what do you think you'll see when I do? And he says the face of my son and he takes it off. I just love that. Like, it's just, it's perfect. And 
you know, it, it, like seeing in the Han seeing his son in the in the face to face for the first time and it impacts him. And it's just such a beautiful moment of like of, you see him being torn apart, like Tim, Tim said. And it's like he doesn't know if he has the strength to kill his own father. And he's telling him that. But he but he's not. But Han's not taking it that way for, you know, for good reason. And, you know, it's just one of those things where. It's it's a it's a great moment because a saga character like Han Solo, which I've I've always liked Han Solo, and thanks to the, a Star Wars story or Solo a Star Wars story, I love Han Solo even more. So his death is even more powerful for me. And I always lo- loved him, and you know I love the original trilogy, obviously. But Han Solo has never been one of my favorite characters. But now even with Solo with, with Solo a Star Wars story, you get to see the tragedy of what Han really does. He has a lot of heartache in his life. I mean. Mm. You know, his first love leaves him basically for a criminal organization. Um, you know, he falls in love, has a family, and that ends up falling apart and ends up killing him. Like, that's a, he's got a tragic life. Yeah. You know, he was abandoned by his father so much that he didn't even take his last name. And he, he mm. says, I don't have people. So to me, Solo, a Star Wars story really impacts that scene even more for me. It makes it even more like gigantic of a of a moment. So the fact that you have you have build up now of Han Solo emotional uh, the emotional backbone of Han Solo you've seen, and you you see it then all represent with Kylo Ren and the Skywalkers now combined with that um, you know all those you know emotional the emotional backbone of Han Solo, it's just like a really powerful moment. I love that moment, and it's just it's beautifully done. You know, I it's. It's it is to me like the the best standout moment of because it really because it connects the original trilogy, and it really is to me letting the past die. In in other mm. words, it almost, it almost feels like Disney is Kylo Ren and they're killing all the old Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm mostly kidding. At the same time, it feels natural that that's where the yeah, story goes. No, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it does feel very natural too. That's a good point. So, yeah, I'm with Tim. I think this is the best moment by far in in Star Wars, the new era of Star Wars. Yeah, yeah the only reason I'm surprised that it's your pick, Paul, because as much as we've talked Star Wars together, that hasn't really come up in conversations <laughs> that we've had as what we well, talk about these moments and everything. Like that. It got spoiled so long ago, so it's always it's always like we just take it for granted. I think that's, that's true. That's yeah. We talked. We were all like, "Oh man, it's so crazy," but it's always predictable because we all knew that Harrison Ford wanted to. You know, it's it, it, it becomes associated with that. But if you take it on its own merit within the story and the saga of all Star Wars, it's a really crazy moment, and especially with with a solo, the new solo film, it really adds a layer to that scene, in my opinion. No, you're totally right. Mm. Yeah, geez, you guys are making me feel bad for like not having this on my list now. Uh, <laughs> but I I agree with both of your points. I mean, it, it, that is a really great scene. Um, my number one scene that I'm going to go with is one that you guys have both mentioned already, but I'm going to kind of expand on it because it's not just the Vader scene from Rogue One. It's the whole ending of that movie. Um, and I had actually originally written it on That's my That's a cheat. Well, yeah, it kind <laughs> of is, but cheat. you know what? Sue me. Um, <laughs> I, I had actually originally... Uh, I had, I had I, to say that the whole solo a Star Wars story is my number one. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I didn't say the whole yeah. movie. I said the end of the movie. You um, said that was your whole up was The Force Awakens. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, for my, for my honorable mention. You know what? Um, I'm just going to say this. 
the whole entire Star Wars saga is my favorite moment. So. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> um, which, by the way, this would be super fun to do again and do like a top 10 list of favorite moments from the entire saga. Um, yeah, that might be even harder. <laughs> it, oh, I'm sure it would be. But th- I feel like in that case, because it would be so hard, I would feel less bad about leaving certain ones off my list. Um, and I would have, I I would be more inclined to go towards like just personal favorite ones and stuff, because obviously there's going to be tons of iconic moments that you're not going to be able to fit all of them in. Um, but anyway, going back to just my number one for this list, um, just, so if I had to define it, I would say it's rogue one from the beginning of the, the piece of music on the soundtrack that's your father would be proud. Um, and I no, just rewatched. I, I just rewatched the end of the movie today, and I was like, "So my favorite part—it's from when Jin is on top of the tower. She's transmitting the plans, and Krennic comes out, and Cassian shoots him. Um, and then uh, it cuts to that music starts playing, and it cuts to the shot in space of the two star destroyers falling after they've collided." Um, and just the the way the whole rest of the movie plays out from that point. I'm part of the reason I love it so much is because of the music. So I want to highlight that first of all, that Michael Giacchino knocked it out of the freaking park on Rogue One, being the first composer yep. uh, who was not John Williams to compose a Star Wars movie and doing it in the amount of time that he did because he recorded it in like a month or two. Um, and he's one of those he's one of those composers that does music for like seven or eight movies a year. And I have no idea how he does it all, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, and manages to not make it all sound like generic because I'm sure you could crank out like a decent score for a bunch of movies. But, you know, hearing some of the other ones he's done, like he's a he does some really good music and it's not like all his stuff sounds the same. Um, and I thought he really did a great job of giving Rogue One just a a Star Wars feel with the music, um, but at the same time not relying too heavily on, like, the same themes or, you know, on classic Star Wars themes or whatever. Like, I think he sprinkled that stuff in where appropriate, um, but really overall just, you know, just did a great job with all the music. But this track here at the end in particular, um, I would say, like, honestly might be my favorite piece of music from all of the new Star Wars films. Um... And I think just the way that it plays out with this scene, I mean, it's kind of a contrast because the music is so melancholy, but there's such sort of exciting, dramatic stuff happening where the rebels are, you know, receiving the transmission for the Death Star plans. And then, you know, they're trying to make this quick escape. And But, you know, then the Death Star emerges out of hyperspace, which unfortunately we don't get to see. I was hoping we would see that when they're like, oh, you know, make for light speed towards Scarif. I was like, are we going to actually get to see what the Death Star looks like traveling through hyperspace? Mm-hmm. Um but just, you know, and I can imagine in my head right now as I'm describing this, like the musical cues as you see all this stuff happening, but just the Death Star on the horizon and then, you know, they fire and blow up the base and, you know, Jin and Cassian get out of the base, but then they're on the beach watching this massive explosion come towards them. Um, and then, you know, when Admiral Radis is like all excited because he's like, all right, we got the plans, but then he's looking down and sees the base get wiped out and he's like, you know, Rogue One, may the force be with you. And they all turn to leave and jump to hyperspace and Vader's ship jumps out of light speed as they're all taking off. And, you know, you see the one rebel cruiser just crash into it and it starts firing and lighting them all up. And again, the swell of this like beautiful somber music as you see this shot of Vader from behind standing on the bridge, watching his star destroyer, like eliminate all these rebel ships. It's such a beautiful, like juxtaposition because you could totally have the Imperial March or like some 
loud dramatic music playing there but i think just like it the music really highlights sort of the the emotion of it and the like all the sacrifice that the rebels had to go through just to get this little disc that then you know of course ties into a new hope and we see everything that they still have to go through just to be able to destroy the death star which is far from being the end of the empire but it's a huge moment um you know of just sort of restoring hope to the galaxy and showing that um you know this evil empire can be defeated um and I love just Rogue One in general, how it shows just the, you know, sort of the ordinary people like Jin and Cassian and all these guys that are just, you know, members of the Rebel Alliance, but they're not like the the faded Jedi heroes that are supposed to come and restore balance or anything like that. They're just, you know, the the normal people on the ground that were fighting to help the Rebellion um, and seeing everything that they had to go through just, you know, to see this part of the mission through to the end. Um, you know, all of that culmination here at the end of the movie is just so so beautifully done with the, you know, the shots and the action and the music and everything. And then of course, leading up to the icing on the cake with that Vader scene, um, which is just, you know, again, that by itself would have earned a spot on my list, but I kind of, I was like, Oh, but I love the, you know, just the battle of Scarif and all the build up to that too. So I was like, I'll just put this all together at the top of my list. Um, and I mean, I know both you guys talked about this already. Just, it was so, cool to see Darth Vader in action like that. I mean, we never really got to see that in the original trilogy. You saw him fighting Luke in both uh, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, but anytime stormtroopers were fighting rebels, Vader would just kind of walk in afterwards and, you know, survey the carnage. Um, so to see, uh, you know, just seeing that lightsaber light up in that hallway and hearing that, you know, finally hearing that dark, dramatic music start playing and he's just tearing these guys apart and lifting them and throwing them and blocking their bolts back at them um, was just, I mean, I was on the edge of my seat the whole time just eating it all up. Like, that was just so well done, so cool to see. Um, and I, I'm Tim, I think you were the one that said this, like, it feels like that's what these star Wars, the, the star Wars story spinoff movies were made for was moments like that. Mm -hmm. Like that kind of fan service that like, doesn't go too far out of its way to be fan service. Like it still feels like it fits within the story. Like rogue one would have been a good movie without that scene, but then adding that on, I mean, again, it was just the cherry on top and especially having it right at the very end of the movie after what was already, you know, a very, you know, tense and dramatic sort of build up and conclusion to things. And then to top it off with that was just perfect. So, um, yeah, I, I honestly, I would say at this point, I think rogue one is my favorite of the, uh, the new star Wars films that we've gotten from Disney. Um, and just, you know, the way that they wrap it up with the end of the movie there is, uh, just top notch. So that's my number one spot. Yeah, we knew that Vader scene or was going to be on all of our lists. Just curious where <laughs> in the rankings it would be because it's really hard not to have that on there. Like yeah, I said no before, kidding. it's such a no-brainer because it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and like I said, I couldn't put the Vader scene just by itself as my number one spot. But um, I, I can understand why because I totally get what you're saying about that moment with the music and we see Vader inside the Star Destroyer. That, that single piece of music right there is one of my favorites just in all of Star Wars. I love it. Mm -hmm. It's my favorite of Rogue One. And like you said, the whole entire score for that movie is really well done. But that singular piece of music there and seeing the visuals of Vader and just 
the carnage going on when the Star Destroyer arrives is just, like I said, something really, really cool about it. So I totally get why you would need to include that moment in there as well. Yeah, I love all that stuff. Um, but hey, we made it. There's our uh, our top five yeah. moments <laughs> of uh, the new Disney Star Wars films. So, um, Tim, did you happen to go back and round up uh, some of the responses from our listeners from back when we first put that out? Um, yeah, I was able to get a few of them because I know <laughs> there was no way you could do all of them because we got over like 100 responses, which was amazing. And we thank you guys for it. But what was sweet about it is that everyone had different scenes. I mean, it wasn't all just, you know, the Vader sequence or the throne room sequence. But I will say the top three that probably got the most responses were the throne room scene at number one, Darth Vader, number two, and then. Ray pulling the lightsaber on Starkiller Base. That was another one that a lot of people chose, and understandably so. It is a great moment, and definitely would have been one that would be like in my top ten because, as the way I prepared was like on Friday before we recorded, I was just going through the movies, not watching all of them, even though I probably easily could if I had time, but just going through the moments that I know I liked and was able to kind of wind it down from there. But I had like written down like 15 or 20 moments for all these four movies. So I had to narrow it down from that. But the, a lot of those moments made it on other people's uh, favorite list. So to start off, I'll go ahead and read from some of our uh, longtime and frequent contributors to the show, uh, Brian Bailey, Martin Elman, and Caleb Clegane. Or Clegane. I keep calling him Caleb Clegane because I just like how that sounds. <laughs> <laughs> but Brian Bailey first at Balls in Play says, uh, number one for him is Luke and Yoda at the Force Tree. Number two, Hope slash Vader in the hallway. Three, transmitting the data tape slash your father would be proud. Number four, Snoke throne room. Number five, um, the Spark, Luke and Leia, and Luke versus Kylo Ren in The Last Jedi. And Martin Elman said that Darmit Studios, too many to choose from. Um, first one for him was going to be Ray catching the saber in The Force Awakens, Luke and Leia, and the Luke and Yoda scene in The Last Jedi, Vader in Rogue One, and Maul Bean in Solo. And what that could mean for the future are my favorites. And then Caleb at uh, Caleb underscore Klingon 5 says, number one for him is the Vader scene in Rogue One. Number two, Kylo and Rey fighting together in The Last Jedi. Number three, Darth Maul and Solo. He says, those moments had me screaming in the theater. All so awesome. And then some responses. Uh, first up, Alan at, or Alan L, I should say, at uh, Label Chips says, Jin listening to Galen's message Crosscut with the Death Star test. Luke and Yoda that at the was Jedi also Tree. Really good. Mm-hmm. And then he says the Holdo maneuver, which was another really cool sequence for both sound and visual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we got the response from Mark at uh, from Fanta Tracks at Fanta Tracks says, "Right now, it's the final scene of Solo, Han and Chewie in that cockpit, and their ship hitting hyperspace together and heading for the stars. Fills my geeky heart with joy." And then Emily T at um, E.M. Timmons underscore one says from The Force Awakens, the conversation between Han, Finn and Ray. So well done by all three actors. Yeah, I knew Luke. Such a small line with an entire epic history behind it. And then from The Last Jedi, the binary sunset as Luke finds peace in the Force. The swell of the score, Mark's face, the cinematography. And then Manny B at Manny Bothans says Ray pulling the lightsaber on Starkiller Base. And he says that with the gif of Ray pulling the lightsaber. And Gwendy Wren at um, Upsy Daisy says Snoke forcing Kylo to take his mask off and the ruined and broken eyes that reflected nothing but pain. The undertones of a lifetime of abuse were evident and then affected me. Hmm. Also the throne room scene. And then Wiz at Wizbiz says 
If I were to choose one moment, I think it would have to be the Kessel Run sequence from Solo. This sequence captures what I expect from Star Wars movies. Intense, colorful, and action-packed sequences with a soundtrack that gives yourself eargasms. Then Tom Cholton at Woo's uh, Lynn Demon. I can't pick one. Enfys Nest reveal in Solo, Maul in Solo, the repraise of the TIE Fighter escape music on Crate with the Porgs in Episode Eight, the Death Star test shot in Rogue One, Krennic's defeated look at the end of Rogue One before the Death Star fires at him. Jason B. Williams at Jason B. Williams 1. Uh, so far, my top moment and still makes me smile is Ray and Finn deciding that the garbage will do and watching them run towards the Falcon. Jonathan Staten at Jonathan Staten says pretty much everything on Corellia, although if I had to choose just one part, I'd say when the family gets split up. I know the Empire has blown up the planet, but that was the first time I really thought of them as evil. Then Mandolin Mike at STH uh, MTN Mike says it's funny because I would choose The Last Jedi as my favorite movie, but as for a single moment, it's when the ghost appears alongside the rebel fleet at Scarif mm. be- because of the thrill of seeing Star Wars Rebels on the big screen. Then Sarah at Hey Jedi Kitty says, I have so many Ray eating dinner, Ray's, Ray and BB 8 meet, Chewie, we're home. The resistance arrives at Takodana, rebellions are built on hope, Evader in Rogue One, Ray and Luke's interactions. Luke's and R2's reunion, Ray and Chewie arrive on crate, Luke and Leia's reunion, the lifting rocks moment, and then Poe be reunited with BB-8. And then she sent a gif of Poe just giving that pet belly rub on BB-8 <laughs> as he sees it again. John Selig at Selig John says, Cynical and jaded Bays finally reconciled to his faith, reciting the words, the force is with me and I am one with the force as he cradles his dear friend Chirrut on a dying battlefield. Jimmy at Old Guy Jedi says Han and Chewie flying the Falcon for the first time. Knowing what that is is the beginning of what, or knowing what that is, the beginning of was incredibly moving. And then Coach Brett Stevens at um, Retin Ball 28 says the little slave kids recounting the legend of Luke Skywalker and playing with the makeshift toys at the end of the Last Jedi is tight. Nathan, you know, I love that Nathan, one. Like I know that's such a controversial scene for so for some mm-hmm. people, but I. That was that was what I considered too. It didn't make my list, but I just I love the ending to to uh, Rogue One, uh, <laughs> Last Jedi, and the way that scene plays out with those kids retelling the legend of Luke Skywalker. Yeah, it's a great moment. My only thing is not to end the Star Wars movie on. <laughs> it could be happen anywhere else, but this wasn't. That's the ending of a Star Wars movie. But like I've said this before too, maybe over the course of the years of watching it and how episode nine plays out, it'll feel more natural, but this still feels kind of a strange ending, even despite it being a great moment with those kids. Hmm. But then uh, coach Brett Stevens says, um, or that's the one I just read. Uh, next one was Nathaniel Hardy at Nathaniel Hardy says the hammerhead strike above Scarif. I felt the same exhilaration I had when I first saw Han and Chewie's return to the battle of Yavin. A maybe we can win this thing moment. And then Shannon at Shannon joy 26 says, Luke kissing Leia goodbye in The Last Jedi. And then a couple of responses we got on Facebook. Um, first up from Brian V. Klein says his favorite was Chewie We're Home. Jason Burt says the Darth Vader scene in Rogue One. Brenton Portis says, I just, in all caps, get me a hammerhead Corvette. And then probably the most fitting response we got out of all of them. Clint uh, Hagemir, if I'm pronouncing your name right, says, no way I can figure out a favorite, <laughs> which we were able to do, but it was a hard choice for us all if you're picking an absolute favorite. And like I said, going through 
all the moments that I was trying to narrow down my list, I just kept saying to myself, man, these are so great. A lot of great moments in these movies and just that I love Star Wars. It's so glad it's continuing because it really wasn't that long ago where all the stuff was unimaginable that we'd be getting new Star Wars films. And here we are counting down some of our favorite moments from these four movies that we've gotten so far and that there is so many great ones to choose from is just amazing. And like I said, not able to read everyone's responses, but there were just more different ones to choose that were out there that everyone had as their favorites. But I just think is amazing that everyone can cling on to these different moments that speak to them in different ways. And that's the beauty of these movies that we just all cling to different parts and they just become special to us for different reasons. And the fact that these four movies are jam packed full of them is I think is amazing. So again, we said this when we first put the question out, but thanks to everyone who responded to this, it kind of blew up, which was awesome to see just everyone kind of, you know, talking positively about these new Star Wars movies because that hasn't always been the case <laughs> these last few months. So just to kind of get a positive conversation going and everyone talking about what they love about these new films was awesome. So your uh, mega awesome, like a mega response that we got on this was much appreciated. So thank you so much. Yeah, definitely. Thank you guys a lot for, uh, you know, all of you who chimed in on this. Um, and like you said, Tim, I mean, it was great to – uh, just strike up some positive conversation around it and remind everybody sort of what they love about these movies. Because I know, you know, people might have different gripes and nitpicks and, you know, whatnot. But, I mean, it's still Star Wars. And I think regardless of uh, your overall feelings on, you know, all these movies and on the sequel trilogy and The Last Jedi and on, you know, Disney in general and whatever, um, I think we can all agree that at the very least these moments are – these movies all have some really cool moments in them. Um, and of course it's hard to pick just one, but, you know, hearing everybody's different takes on which ones were their favorite, um, was really cool to see. It was a really cool couple days while this was blowing up and like everybody was tweeting at us. And again, I mean, I was expecting most of the reaction to be, I mean, kind of those top three that we got, um, you know, Ray getting the lightsaber in the forest and the Vader scene in Rogue One and the throne room battle, but seeing just the variety of different responses and how many people picked other stuff besides those ones was really cool. So, um, yeah, thank you guys for, uh, for, you know, chiming in on that and for uh, sharing all your different thoughts and opinions with us. Um, but, uh, yeah, this has been fun. I think any, uh, anything else we got to add before we wrap up here, guys? <laughs> Care to hear more picks that didn't make the list? Cause I got tons of those. <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, we should do like an epic, top 10 list but if we did that we couldn't do it we'd have to do a little bit quicker we could probably have to do something like uh we just ran through our list like one person at a time kind of a mm. thing but, oh, oh, I don't like, know. you know i like, mean it's not this honestly didn't take as long as i thought it would i thought this was going to be another one of enough. our uh you know our three hour episodes or something so now i'd be i mean i like doing it the way we did it here i would be totally down to do just you know uh you know long we'll do our, our top 10 or you know number 10 number nine whatever um sure. but i would just say even though it might be a while it might be best if we just wait till episode nine comes out just so yeah <laughs> and we, we very well might do all. that I'm, I'm not saying you know that'll be our next episode or anything but um yeah at some point in the future we'll come back and do that um that would be fun and then you know maybe we'll uh we'll post a question about that on twitter again and you know on twitter and facebook and our social media channels and just see you know the vast number of responses that we get about uh you know just what's everybody's favorite star wars moment in general that would be fun to see 
Yeah, totally. Let the hard decision making begin again. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, heck, if we wait till episode nine comes out, it might take me that long to narrow down my list anyway. So yeah, um, <laughs> that's true. And then rearrange it all over again when once episode nine comes out. Yeah, exactly. It has as many cool moments as we're hoping it will. So. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure there'll be some great stuff in there too. Um, man, but that's I think going to wrap it up for this episode. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you guys for tuning in and joining in with joining in with us. Um, as always, you can check us out online. You can follow us on Twitter at Star, uh, at Star Wars TSC. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Star Wars The Saga Continues. You can send us email at t- uh, Star Wars TSC at gmail.com. And uh, you can check out our website at Star Wars TSC.com for all the latest uh, news and rumors and updates and stuff that we're posting and talking about here on the show. Um, and of course, be sure to check out thunderquack.com for all the awesome thunder, uh, all the other awesome podcasts in the thunderquack podcast network. Um, we will be back with another episode, hopefully not, uh, too long from now. We got, uh, star Wars resistance on the horizon coming up in just a couple of weeks. So, um, I'm sure we'll be back again soon talking about that and whatever other, uh, cool new star Wars stuff is coming up soon. So. Uh, Thank you guys for tuning in, and we will see you next time, and may the Force be with you. See you next time, everybody. Peace out.